0: new life to a brand new day all the way from the wastelands of California. My fact is Michael Deacon and I am a mere figment of your imagination. We look forward to once again serving you those sounds of salvation. Joining me tonight we have a rather special guest boys and girls the multi-talented writer musician and provocateur Mike Edison will be joining us in a moment here. With a career spanning decades, Mike has worked with some of the biggest names in music and literature, including the Ramones, Lydia Lunch, and Gigi Allen. He's also the author of several books, including I Have Fun, Everywhere I Go, Savage Tales of Pot, Porn, Punk Rock, Pro Wrestling, Talking Apes, Evil Bosses, Dirty Blues, American Heroes, and the most notorious magazine in the world, and Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters. Once again, boys and girls, thank you for allowing us into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Now, without further ado, let's bring in Mr. Mike Edison. And of course, my co-host, Mr. Mike Hideous. That's right. And Mr. Edison, as a former editor and publisher of High Times, how do you think the cannabis industry has sort of transformed? Do you think, in, in the sense, do you think in a good way or in a bad way?
1: Well, the idea that we're not putting people in jail for smoking pot is great. I mean, that, that should have been done a long time ago. A lot of people's lives are ruined by idiotic drug laws. But the way New York State, anyway, uh, rolled it out, it, it's it's in shambles. You've been to New York City at all lately? And it smells like a Neil Young concert. Oh, yeah. my. it's completely the Wild West out there. And, you know, I think there should be civilized legal weed. I think everyone should be able to buy it, of course. You know, not for kids, but, you know, everybody should, adults should have access to quality legal weed and not like something that's been like dipped in paint thinner. I mean, you just don't know what you're getting at these bodegas and these pop up, you know, legal marijuana shops. I like the idea that um, the the pot, the the plant to shop kind of thing, you know, kind of like that farm to table thing brought to marijuana. I like that. I think people should be smoking uh, better weed. (laughs) I think it's not. But have you ever tried to cop some weed at like some, you know, shitty, you know, pop-up illegal, you know, just getting, you know, getting by because the law's changed and saw selling pot. I mean, I, some really bad crap weed out there posing as like, you know, kind bud. And it's just not. And uh, I'm afraid someone's going to get sick. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's it's not good. It's not healthy. It's not right. You know, and it cuts down the people who've done the work. And uh, up here where I live up in the country, I'm hoping that, uh, when we do open a marijuana retail outlet here, it's supposed to benefit local farmers. We should be selling, you know, selling locally grown meat, just like I go buy vegetables at my farmers market. I should buy weed grown locally, supporting local farmers.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I do want to thank Mike Hideous here for bringing you on the program. There's so much to cover here, but I thought I would just shoot that one right at you right away since.
1: Yeah. It's just like, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want like Monsanto and Philip Morris, like becoming my pot dealer. I agree. You know, that, that, that ain't fucking right. Mm.
0: No, absolutely. And that's exactly what's happening right now, though. Um, A lot of kids are actually getting into the weed. A lot. Yeah. More than ever before, it seems. But I would say in the year 2023 now, it seems like there's much more of a, I guess, more of a tobacco uprise in the the youth, I guess you can say. A lot of vaporizing going on, a lot I, of flavored tobacco. If I tobacco, make a comment on that. Go ahead. Um,
2: I, I think, in my personal humble opinion, I think ever since the marijuana has become more legal and accessible, I think kids now are finding it, like, you know, like, I know when I was a little boy, I used to steal my aunt's half-smoked cigarettes in the ashtray and I'd smoke them. And I think what's happening now is kid, like a, a lot more younger kids are getting the opportunity to, I don't know, snatch their parents vape or, you know, get an opportunity to smoke whatever's left in a bong. I'm not saying I'm against pot. Now, you know, Michael, you know, I, I smoke weed and there's no there's no secret about that. And I s- smoke it every day. Um not like I used to. Wow, I go had. Out and smoke.
0: I didn't know you were an addict. You didn't know wow. that. Oh, no, I didn't know you were a, a junkie, Mike. Wow, I'm a
2: total junkie. Oh my god.
0: You shoot it up, Mike, in a needle.
2: Yeah, I roll it up into a joint and I stick it in my arm.
0: But <laughs> what I'm saying
2: is that I think a lot of kids are getting an opportunity to, to smoke at a younger age, whereas when it was more illegal, uh, you know, it became a thing where you mostly
1: got it as an adult at least in my
3: experience
2: i don't know what do you shit. think mr edison
1: oh, shit. i mean i was smoking pot when i was 13 and, there you go uh, dropping acid when i was 15 Ooh. You know, <laughs> but you know but I, I i was looking for it i mean you know i I, <laughs> I i i was on a vision quest of some sort love that uh, i don't know look you know i, I don't i mean listen if my 13 year old came home stoned i'd be i, I wouldn't be very very happy about it um jesus christ if my 15 year old dropping ass i'd fucking lock him up uh,
0: <laughs> yeah i would imagine I mean, I
1: mean, for me but i'm not recommending it you know right. uh, I, yeah i mean it's like booze too i mean listen kids are going to experiment kids are kids you know yeah. get stoned as your teenager it's part of the job description um you know I guess it's better than alcohol right well i mean kids 15 is gonna like try a beer get a little over drunk and throw up at a party too It's like, part exactly of the but uh yeah. But you know, demystifying it, and you know, the one thing you can't do is lie to kids. You know, which is what what my generation we were always told that marijuana would make you grow breasts. Would make you, <laughs> uh, you laugh. That's what you know we were told in school. You know, if you smoked marijuana, you'd lose all your testosterone. Yeah, and uh, you know, you'd grow breasts. Yeah, you know, you'd you'd be sexually dysfunctional. Um, you, you you know, your brain would die. I mean, like it was just a million things. Not not to mention you'd end up in jail or that it would lead to like. You know, like putting a needle in your arm and, you know, dying on the floor uh, or a jail cell. Uh, that's what we were told. And you just knew that it was bullshit. It's just better to be honest with people. I mean, I tell kids all the time, it's like, listen, I mean, I tell them, listen, don't smoke dope. Wait, you know, I mean, just be patient. But uh, I'm not going to lie to them tell them it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. Right. You know, I mean, I don't. I try not to bring it up, but kids are hip. You know, they 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 know. I teach music to some teenagers, and I always tell them like, no drugs. And you know, I mean, I mean, on the gig, you know, I mean, just don't show up fucking stoned at square. Uh, yeah. Which I still think, you know, I mean, I, I I haven't smoked pot before a gig in a long, long time. You know, I I think there's a time and a place for everything. In fact. When I got busted for smoking weed when I was in junior high school, getting stoned before school, and again, if I found my 15-year-old kid smoking weed before school, I, you know, I'd <laughs> he'd, he'd handcuff him to the radiator and never let him leave again. Um, you know, I ain't right. You know, what I mean, but you know, I, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional situation. But the only thing anyone said to me that made any sense was one teacher. After everyone got done yelling at me and telling me, you know, they thought I was a nice person, and now I'm like, you know, obviously on the road to ruin. Said, look, <laughs> you know, said, look, there's a time and a place for everything, and that's all he said. And I, you know, it was good. It was kind of like, hey, you know, you know, asshole, you know, getting stoned in the woods before school is not the right place. But uh, but I'm not. Telling you that it's the worst thing you could possibly do, either. You know, maybe yes. save, you know, save it, for, save it for the Stones concert next week. You know? <laughs> I'm with it's you. It's
2: interesting you say that, Mike. Mike Edison. Um, I've always felt the same way. When I was involved in music as a performer, there was one rule I had, and I don't care what anybody of my musicians were into. You could have been into any sort of substance. I didn't care, but I always said to them, before rehearsal, before gig, don't ever. Get yourself fucked up, because as you just said, there's a time and place for everything.
0: Not even a hit or two, Mike, before going on stage.
2: Never. I I, I always I always enforced that with my musicians when I was working with a band. Well,
0: you're no fun. I
2: I know I'm no fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were times if we would experience experience we would experiment, you know, we'd light up a little bit or everybody would have a couple of beers or Uh, something. Yeah, that was one thing. But if we were rehearsing for a gig or doing a gig, I was like, "Don't do anything until do yeah. after."
0: I hear but, you. No,
1: know, it's it's hard. I'm not. I'm not a cop. I'm not going to police people. Some people feel like they can be stoned and be stoned all day. And uh, I personally feel people are stoned all the time. You never get the best of them, you know. Um, and and working at high times, believe me, I saw people who were stoned all freaking day long. And at some point, it's it's it's. Uh, You know, you got a substance abuse problem, son. You know, I mean, I I like clarity. I like to get stoned too, and I like to drink, you know. But again, time and place for everything. I found with pot, when I started picking my spots more than instead of being like a teenage stoner, and, you know, if I, you know, I'd wait, like, okay, hey, I'm going to go hiking in the woods, you know, let's get stoned or, you know, going to the art museum (laughs) or, you know, it would be okay. But like showing up to school or a gig stoned, I mean, school's one thing. I mean, I was just acting out and fighting against everything and rebelling and was unhappy in the first place. But, you know, if you have to get stoned to go to a job you allegedly like, that's kind of wrong. I, people think I'm really conservative about this, but but I, I like clarity and I like people who are clear. And I'm fine with everybody smoking pot. It's time, you know. But uh, you know, you wouldn't show up to work like having a few drinks. I mean, no way. It wouldn't be acceptable to have a few drinks every day before you went to work. Um, you know, I want people clear. That's all. As far as playing gigs, I mean, personally, it doesn't work for me. And I find it, you know, kind of disrespectful to the audience to show up wasted. That being said, we drank an awful lot of liquor before, an awful lot of gigs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hear you.
1: You did a lot of, you know, came up, you know, kind of buzzed and wired. But, you know, maybe I would, I would probably would have blown over if I was driving a car. But uh, right. playing the drunk, it seemed like I was right in the pocket. Uh, and also, though, you can't do it while you're real drunk. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you know every, everybody's got their own thing I guess but uh yeah I just I just think with the pop- popping weed I see too many people stoned at the supermarket I'm like really really are you kidding me you know well, there's some
0: people that <laughs> just can't function whatsoever on on the weed
1: yeah but the people that say they can't function without it are the ones I'm worried about
0: well that too <laughs> that's another problem um but yes uh, alcohol and marijuana both are great both are fantastic in my opinion in moderation not you know not continuously doing it four hours on end maybe just the uh, two hours and then you're good i think <laughs> I that might be time, safer
1: dude, you know again time to for everything I, I i love a good pot party you know uh, i mean you know I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get stolen and drive my car because i don't want to be like you know, you know searching for you know some fucking jam on my radio and like right. <laughs> a deer you know i mean that's all that's or he a truck. kid driving a car down the road um so i know people drive stoned i i, I don't like not even buzzed you know like no you know like, sounds like uh really,
0: no. sounds like you're a pretty safe driver then mr edison
1: i do my best hey dude you know st- uh people that like I say people seem to think i'm conservative about it because i have some sort of reputation because i working for high times and being being very pro pot generally speaking but uh yeah man i just like to you know keep keep, keep it up yeah, you know, keep it respectful That's yeah right.
0: you want to be respectful and stay alive basically you don't want to be high on the behind the wheel or drunk i mean those are all things that are i would say someone with common sense would follow through with so mike i'm glad um you know you're not drinking or driving or high on mushrooms and driving like i was at one time um but you oh, know you it did should that? Happen. i was mean,
1: like drunk i my car in acid but you know i was like you know i was i was, I was a kid you know, yeah, i, mean, exactly. I was just trying to make my way in the world. Now, you know, I, I, I'm better at executing good choices.
3: <laughs>
0: right. You know, you, you eat a few grams, you drive a few hours. It's all good.
2: I was 25 years old. I had just gotten married and I had taken a couple of uh, mushroom caps and I decided, dude, I, I was having out of body experiences and I decided to get behind the wheel and drive to a friend of mine's place where she worked. Um, that was like, it had to be at least 25 miles away. I, how I did it, I don't even know, because I don't remember. I have no recollection on how I got there or got back home. <laughs> I mean, I those. was completely focused on, like, I had, like, tunnel vision, you know? Oh, God. And when I think about that day, I'm like, what the
0: yeah, fuck what were was you I thinking? thinking about? Exactly. Like, and, you know, there's only been one instance where I was, like, really drunk, and I drove on the freeway. After going and meeting a listener of mine several years back at a brewery, and that was definitely not a good idea, I got really high in the parking lot, and me and this listener got really drunk. I had no business getting behind the wheel, and uh, Mike, just like you, I have no idea how I did it or how I made it at home.
1: That's crazy. Yeah,
0: that, that was the dumbest crazy. thing I've ever done.
3: mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it ain't about you, it's about everybody else on the road too. So that too.
0: That was crazy.
1: Try to keep it cool. That's all. I mean listen, once the car is Parked in the driveway for the night, yeah, we can do whatever, you know, that's cool. Right. <laughs> and for me, I weird thing is I live out in the country now and I grew up in the city, so the idea of a bar with a parking lot, it just makes like no sense to me. Because, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that is America, but I grew up in the city, so you go to a bar, you just like walk outside, you know, you walk home, you get in the subway, or take a cab, there's no problem, you know, you right, can right. You know, wheel yourself down the down the road, you know, no matter how fucked up you are, but if you're, you know, if you got to drive to your drinking destination, you know, you can't really do a pub crawl in a car. That's, That's hard,
2: right? Mike, Mike, you, you said you are, you're originally from New Jersey, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up like real close to New York City. Like, uh, I think it was like 35, the train's 35 minutes in Maituchin, New Jersey, where I grew up. Uh, it was 35 minutes, and I think it was $3.15 a round trip to get to Penn Station. And once you figure that out... Train station was like walking distance from my house, you know, the town I lived in. So once you figure that out, you know, I was in the city all the time since I was like you know, 14 or 15, even before that, actually. But that's when I started getting in trouble. You know, I realized, you know, I knew some bars. you know, 14 years old. If you could reach the bar, they'd give you a drink. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know uh, that. You know, I went to go to buy, like, you know, records and stuff. And, you know, and then later, like, all ages shows and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I can go... Go to the city like right after school and still be home and not be missed very nice you, did you was it when you got into a band
2: that you start that you moved into new york because you lived in new york city as well right
1: yeah but I mean, my whole life except for a few you know a few detours and then and, and recently moving you know up the country uh i moved to new york like right after i got out of high school you know i mean ostensibly to go to college and got my my place and uh you know uh NYU film school lasted two years uh wasn't really a success <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the time I was also playing in my, you know my first band that really did anything Sharky's Machine and we you know people were saying like hey do you want to go to Berlin do you want to go to Amsterdam do you want to make a record do you want to play some gigs it was like really cool early pre-internet you know obviously pre-internet you know but post-punk madness you know like what uh, year was that so this is like the I started the band in like eighty two or eighty three. By eighty four, it's kind of up and rolling. I guess we went to Europe the first time in eighty five. I think we did our first trip, and then went back again. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was great, you know. I mean, you know, I was uh, yeah, I was twenty years old. I was it twenty four? So yeah, like between eighty five and eighty eight, we started going back and forth. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm like twenty three or four years old, hanging out in West Berlin at the time. It was before the wall came down. Um, you know, I remember. I remember it was like being there. It was like a spring day, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" I'm like in Amsterdam, you know, and um, and yeah, getting stoned going to the coffee shops, but playing a gig with you know that was basically sold out, and uh, with my crazy little art punk damaged, you know, thrash band, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was it was all right. Uh, you know, I mean, you and I are about the same age, I believe. Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, graduated high school in 1982, uh, so two year, was, you must be two I years think, older than I am right into this kind of like, when I got to New York, it was kind of like second wave whatever punk rock but you know all the hardcore bands were like happening uh that was kind of what was going on at cbgb's uh it was all all the thrash and hardcore bands of the day um i was good friends with the band reagan youth and and went on a tour with them in 1984 i guess that was the first real tour i did was the reagan youth uh across america tour in 1984 i remember them against reagan and we playing like huge gigs with the dead kennedys and and, you know it, it was wonderful it was great wow you got to play with the dead kennedys nice well, you know, I got to, I got to play before them, yeah. And they were, they were amazing, man. You can't believe how, how great a band they were, unless you saw them. Like, I like, saw them, I saw them at the Dover Showplace in 1985. Nice, yeah. They were still going strong in 1985, no question. I think maybe that was like right around the time It was like a tipping point, like their their records ceased to be, you know, quite as good. But man, see, you know, uh, like Jello was just taking everything a little too seriously. You know, uh, but man, could they play? They played so great. They sounded so great. Wow, they were to amazing. Generate so much excitement in an audience. Oh, I'll never forget that show. It's the most brutal
2: show that and and this and suicidal tendencies the same year were the two most brutal shows I had ever been to. And I used to go out and, you know, do the, the, the slam dancing and all that. But before it became thrash. Um, but yeah, amazing. Dead Kennedys were one of the most amazing shows in hardcore music that I had ever seen. Mike, you said um, you also got into writing as well. Was that while you were still a musician or or when did you start writing for magazines?
1: Yeah, the whole thing happens kind of at the same time. So I I, I get to college and uh, get this idea I should write for the school paper. Um, And I know a guy who's like, writing over there, and he says, like, hey, you, gotta, you should write something, you should write a review. I think I wrote a review of a Black Sabbath concert. It was the worst thing. And, you know, the great thing is, like, hey, you know, you, great. And then people start giving you tickets to things because they want you to review them. Uh, and I suddenly realized this is the hustle. You know, when you review things, you get free shit. And you get free shit all the time. And in New York City, down to New York City, this was the best because I also wanted to go to a lot of gigs that We weren't going to get coverage elsewhere. Like a lot of like blues, country, uh, root stuff. The Lone Star Cafe was right down in Greenwich Village, and they were very friendly. to me into us, can I, you know, let's let us in. Basically, hey, can I come in? And, you know, maybe, 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 maybe I'll review this for the NYU paper. And uh, but this is how, you know, I get to see Dr. John like nine times, you know, and and Buddy wow. Gunn and Albert King. And you know, I was already I was already going there when I was in high school, you know, I was a little underage, but I was going to all these see all these, you know, great blues guys. Everybody came through that bar. And uh and then, you know, then it was just like, okay, you make a call, you get on the list. This is the hustle, you know? Uh And it was it was good for a while, you know. Always getting invited to shit, people buying you drinks for speed. So that was a good reason to be on the school paper. But it quickly turned into something bigger because someone said, "Hey, you want to gig writing for this wrestling magazine?" That's how that happened. It's one of the guys I knew had a thing writing at a wrestling magazine. Uh, I don't know how he got that job. He just kind of applied for it, you know. And I said, "Well, when he writes write this, we're all kind of like stoner wrestling fans, you know." Uh, this is just before the first Hulk Hogan era, and uh, but, but right around the same time, it was right around WrestleMania one, and uh, started writing for that magazine, which became quite a thing. because I'd start writing numerous stories under different names, you know, every month until eventually I started, you know, editing the magazine myself. When he left, I got the gig, uh, and wow. then I, then came the the pornography,
0: <laughs> right, uh,
1: which is not something I ever thought about writing, because I always thought it was kind of boring, but. You know, I mean, here I am. I dropped out of school and playing in my punk rock band. I mean, life was okay, but I need a gig. Need 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 to make some dough. And uh, someone said, "You ever think about writing smut?" And I was like, "Well, no, no." <laughs> <you know,
0: laughs> great not, idea.
1: Not, not, not really. I hadn't really thought about it. I said, well, there are these guys. They they do these paperback books. I mean, you got to remember, video tape was still very expensive at the time. Uh, you know, that was the technology. You know, Beta cassettes. Uh, it was still like pre VHS, porn movies cost money. Uh, and paperback books were part of the way people uh consumed smut, right? <laughs> so, Get so up there and uh, you know, they, they auditioned me. He said, Sit down on the typewriter, you know, and give me like uh, you know, four pages of blowjob, hmm. and uh. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a good typist. <laughs> you know, but the, the smarter things I ever did was, uh, take this, little typing class, like in a summer program, uh, when I was in high school, you know, well everybody else was like, you know, whatever, getting stoned and jumping in the river. I was like, took this two week thing and learned how to type properly. It's like it, still, you know, paying dividends that, that two weeks, um, so like I sat down, and I wrote this thing, you, you sit Jack and Jill on the couch, and then you pull the camera in close, and like, do do do, 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 do clack and I pull the paper, and the guy says, this is great, you can start tomorrow, you have to write a book a week, that's what we do a over here. A book wow. a week, wow. Yeah, yeah, they're short novels, and, but they're, you know, and we wrote them on this primitive word processors, and they typeset them there, and it was all, basically this kind of like mob-run porn distribution thing because that was a thing you know (laughs) you know like all these porn shops you know that you know selling you know dildos and movies and whatever else they had they they were flooded with these books and they printed them themselves so they paid me like 400 dollars for a book i think it was what it was cash uh but you know you could write one in about 40 hours so all right Per hour not a great job, but it was good. I'd go there, show up, get four hundred bucks, and you know, get slight raises. But man, you know, my apartment probably only cost three hundred eighty dollars a month at that time. So making that kind of cash a week, doing something that wasn't you know digging ditches and actually sitting down and making up this unbelievable amount of filth was was kind of kind of all right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that beats uh working a regular job, that's for sure. Shit, yeah, way better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, until, until until it doesn't, you know, until you burn out on it and you can't True. possibly, you know find one more fucking way to slide he slid his heart blah 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 right. work, dumb, <laughs> you know you're just like fucking done and it's like okay i can't do this anymore you know i cannot not one more fucking word
0: that's true but it's just it's one of those things that will always be popular and you know erotica sells uh tremendously still to this day and again you've written about some of the more outrageous aspects of american culture like you just said pro wrestling and pornography um, what what do you think these subjects reveal about the broader culture of America, Mister Edison?
1: That's a good question. See, I like that. I'm feeling like like 60 minutes or something. See, that's why I stick with him, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> the broader culture. Well, listen, everybody likes sex. I mean, I mean, you know, not everybody likes sex, but you know, America uh, has a very weird relationship with sex because we we kind of we kind of fear it, yet we run towards it at the same time. Uh, you know, the weird thing is like, so my my father hated it when I wrote these this professional wrestling magazines. He thought professional wrestling was the dumbest, most lowbrow fucking hillbilly crap, you know, in the world. He really couldn't believe his, like, you know, somewhat educated child, you know, would watch professional wrestling, let alone be, you know, making kind of a go at making a living doing it. Uh, uh, he was really, but he didn't really complain when I wrote for Hustler, you know, which is where all his porn book writing ended up. I started working with Screw and Hustler and contributing to stuff and making more money and, you know, on better terms. But I think he understood that. You know. I think people understood like, oh, okay, hustler, it's sort of like Playboy, and Playboy is sort of respectable, but professional wrestling, no fucking way. <laughs> I, I mean, I think if you watch wrestling, it used to be more so, but I thought it was a good barometer of the culture. You, know, you could see who the bad guys were. You know, during the Reagan years, it was always like Russians and – you know, The uh, Arabs
2: and the Russians.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, things have changed now. It's not as funny as it used to be, but America isn't as funny as it used to be either, I don't think.
0: No, yeah. not at all.
1: Uh, but wrestling, I liked it better when it was funnier. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you still watch wrestling uh, today, Mike?
1: Yeah, sure, occasionally. I mean, I watched WrestleMania this year. It was all right. It was amazing. It was I watch it every year. You know, tune in for a little while to catch up, see who's doing what. Right. And, yeah. It uh, so surprises you. And, yeah. You know, comes out and does something really cool and hits, like, some fucking spot that you've never seen before. It's like, wow, that's, like, kind of awesome. Or, or if there's someone genuinely funny. But it hasn't been really funny since, like, the attitude era like stone cold steve austin i mean right. that was great those were great years those were know? fun
0: years yeah with uh, yeah. much more of a uh, th- the writers had much more freedom back in those days unlike today and uh, mike what he uh, meant by a spot is a sequence of events um mike that's what um, mr edison is talking about here uh, when he mentioned a uh, spot uh, that that's lingo from uh, the pro wrestling uh, world
2: I wouldn't have known because I was never a pro
0: wrestling there you go.
2: fan. I was probably more in tune with Mike Edison's dad.
1: <laughs> yeah, even my wife speaks pro wrestling slang now. Oh, uh, She knows lingo. She's been hanging around me for a long time. She, you know, she goes, you know, I come back to work. I said, well, you know, how did the presentation go, honey? She goes, oh, I got a huge pop.
0: There you go. <laughs> that means yeah. a round of applause, <laughs> I'm Mike.
1: Like, oh, man, you know, getting a lot of heat, you know. There you go. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that.
0: I I like your wife. I like you. I like that uh, both of you know the lingo. It's pretty funny. Um, Pro wrestling is very much uh, like real life in a way. There's lots of uh, similarities. You know, you have these politicians that go back and forth with each other, very much like a pro wrestling segment. You know, you got the baby faces and the heels. You got a storyline going. Um, Mike obviously knows what I'm talking about here. Uh, Mike, the other Mike here. Mr. Hideous, um, a little bit confused, but now he's sort of uh, getting it now, I'm sure.
1: Uh, wrestling is always a great metaphor for, for life. I, I don't know, you know, I liked it better when the heels and the babies were like more, more defined. I used to always root for the heels, I mean, I still do. But now was like, who was the last heel that was on WrestleMania? I just thought he was doing a jerk gimmick, like I'm a jerk, I'm an arrogant jerk. I it wasn't funny enough, you know? I mean, I seriously root for the Iron Sheik you know I, I, you know, I, mean, I was on like my ass kicking Madison Square Garden I'm rooting for like an Iranian terrorist <laughs> to up like Sergeant Slaughter, the All American Drill Sergeant. I'm like, but he's a creep, he's a jerk, you know. Like, you know, who do you want to go have a beer with? Me, the Iron Sheik, not Sergeant Slaughter. He's does right. you know, He's mean. You know, and he's supposed to be the good guy. He seems like a dick.
0: Uh, he kind of is a dick, by the way. I, I ran into uh, Sergeant Slaughter before, and uh, I didn't like him personally. Gotta be honest, Bob. Bob slaughter <laughs> he's a, he's a douche uh, Bobby I rather I'd rather have uh, met someone like the Iron Sheik, you know someone who acts crazy Hulk Hogan would come up to you at appearances and tell you you're the guy you're the man you he loves you you know he he, he showed a great deal of affection and then he'd even say give me a call we'll get something going. Then you would call him, and he wouldn't return your call. Is that the source of the argument?
3: You're absolutely right, Mr. Howard. Because the men, every all intelligent <laughs> wrestling fans around the world, especially Macho of the arena, uh, Madison Square New York and New York City, they know who was a champ when before that Hollywood blonde jabroni Hulk Hogan, uh, Aaron Sheik. Right. So uh, after I lost my belt to him, I'm getting so excited, I won't even stand up. Top. <laughs> and after I, I lost my belt to him, Mr. Howard, he come in the locker room. He said, Shiki baby, I love you. I owe you one. And after that, he, he never returned my call back. And another lie to me. He, he told me another lie, lie. Two months ago, I met him in the New Jersey. And he come, says, Shiki baby, I love you again. And he tell his jabroni prophet, which is he was my first manager, uh, Jimmy Hart and he tell Jimmy Hart, get the chicken number we're going to use him for his show, reality show, whatever. Right. But I hope you have a little bit of a problem. He I, he didn't call me again. That's the two times, Mr. Howard, he lied to me. All right, so he lied to you. But it, here's the thing. I know you consider yourself a man's man, which you are. You're a manly guy and you
0: even just call people faggots and stuff. But then you said in this clip you wanted to fuck his wife, Linda.
3: Oh, no, 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 go, no. Whoa, 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 whoa.
0: You said... You were going to fuck his wife Linda. You're going to fuck his daughter. You're going to fuck him and his son.
3: <laughs> but that's gay. <game. laughs> <laughs> Mr. Howard, it must be you misunderstand. Uh, I mean, I really, I really don't hate him that much. Right. So I say I'm going to fuck Delinda or his son or daughter. But must be somebody misunderstand. Uh, I'm a family man. He's a family man. That's a cheap hit. So I talk about his wife or her daughter. No, You're I, saying you didn't do it? No, no, ma'am. No, uh, I have the tape of it. I played it today. Is that right? Yeah. But must be somebody. <laughs> must be with somebody else. But but uh, you want uh, to play I it mean with the sheik. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, I sheik. Mean,
0: his son is underage. I don't think you can be having sex with
3: him. Why absolutely not? Right. Sam right. is her daughter. Right. Same is his wife, Linda. Right. And I have a good friendship with his wife and his daughter. But but Robin, I never say anything bad about his wife or her daughter. Must be.
0: My goodness, I just wanted to hear that, uh, Mike. I've am sure been
3: talking to
1: that guy all day. <laughs> I love the Iron Sheik. He, he's so unglued. Was he so loud when he talked to you that he, whole time? He was, I mean, he was doing, doing some heavy crack for a while. I mean, right. He was really going, going down that rabbit hole in a bad, hard way. I mean, he's talked about it, you know? Um, yeah, he's out of his fucking mind, the Iron Sheik. I love him. <laughs> you know? Great yeah, guy. I mean, listen, we used, used to post all time. You know, he hates fucking Hulk Hogan. I mean, he, he's like, I've got a humble Hogan country way. You, you, you figure out what that means. He's going to humble him in the old-fashioned country way. Okay, you can you take that. For it. I don't know. Iron Cheek is funny. Hulk Hogan is not. Hulk Hogan is so not funny. I, I mean, I, I get it. He's a he's, you know, great, tall, good-looking guy. And he's got great skills on the mic stay in school, eat your vitamins. I mean, I, I, I get it, but he's not my kind of fucking dude. He's not my kind of people. I don't want to hang out with them. You know, you know what it is? Roddy Piper told me, he said, you know, Hulk Hogan is the kind of guy that wears a spandex in the airport.
0: Ooh, he's a mark but for himself. Jerry like only. Jerry only, yeah. Jerry you know? only, yeah.
1: Spandex when he's mowing the lawn. I mean, Hogan's a jerk. He had a bad reputation too, Hogan, like, like just for not being a good guy in the locker room and not like being helpful to like, like young people who are coming up in the business, you know. I mean he had it all and uh you know he, you know, he he was the houseboy, you know. I mean he had the he had the big sell, he, he had the backing from the promotion uh, and I, I guess he sold a lot of tickets, which is the only thing that really matters.
0: Right. In pro wrestling, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter all if you're good or bad, it, if you're yeah, as long it. as you generate money, that's all they um all they care about. Um just yeah. like in real life. Yeah. art is nice, but someone's gotta pay for it. That's true. <laughs> That's it's true. Like
2: that, in so many, so many different avenues of of uh, whether it's uh, Hollywood or music, or, you know, it's all the same. It's how much units you can sell, or how many, you know, how much money you can generate from your uh, your actions. That's what it's about here in this country.
0: Absolutely, and uh, Mister Edison, I forgot to ask you very early on in our conversation. Um, you know, we didn't even get to talk about you know the early years of your life and uh, your your family your parents we or anything uh, do you have any brothers or sisters any parents alive mr edison
1: well no i'm 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 an orphan you're uh, an orphan okay as as was, an adult orphan my parents died you know in the last 10 years but I see. Uh, you know uh i i i don't mike uh you know, it's the weird thing is Mike you know, found my record, I Have Fun Everywhere I Go, but, you know, that's based on the book, I Have Fun Everywhere I Go, where all these stories about Hulk Hogan and being at the wrestling magazine, working for High Times, working pornography, all those stories are in the book, I Have Fun Everywhere I Go, and we made kind of a record of it. It's not an audio book. It's kind of broken down into a handful of stories with some crazy music behind it, um, and it tells some stories about pot and pornography and sure. uh, punk rock and uh, the stories on there about the time Ozzy Osbourne stole my weed, you know. Uh, stole uh, your I mean, weed it's a crazy record based on the because i just thought storytelling was a great way to present it to people i mean, i'm glad that mike found it but it it is like a legit book um and uh i wrote another memoir which is my childhood memoir which is uh, you asked about my childhood so i'm gonna uh recommend my book uh and uh it's called you are a complete disappointment right it says it uh, this says it all
0: that's a, yeah about your your relationship with your father
1: yeah that was that fucking flipped me out man when i read so, that that was the last thing he said to you You're literally on his deathbed. You are. Well, he added after that, that like, how come you're the only person in this family who's fat? So,
0: (laughs) wow, that's not very nice.
1: (laughs) Seriously, he actually literally like while he's dying, says, I can't believe someone as smart as you likes professional wrestling. I'm like, really? What the fuck? I mean, really? That's (laughs) the pro
0: wrestling thing.
1: That's how we're going to end this, right? Oh, man. That really like, the Yikes. saddle so fucking you know, hard, you know, that really really that's that's the fucking thing. Sounds you like know? your dad
0: was a real bomb buster.
1: Well, well I was a bomb buster, you know, he just had a very um narrow world view. Let's just say uh. You know, I kind of like I've come to terms with a lot of stuff, and you know, I wrote a book about my dad. And, right. No, it, it sucked. It, it hurt like tremendously. Sure. To, you know, show up. You know, you know your dad, and you know, and like, gee, dad, what do you, you know? What is it? What are you gonna say? You know, and it's like, well, <laughs> you're a complete disappointment. Like, all right. Mm. You know?
0: And uh, uh, Mr. Edison, I gotta ask you, what was the most difficult part about writing such a personal book like that?
1: Um, most difficult part about writing is like, you
0: know, I th- all the memories being brought up again when you're typing the shit down like
1: you know i was like with like you know during this time my my mom died too you know my mom we died we ended on real good terms i mean she kind of made my high school life a living hell but we we parted on really good terms um but it set me you know at odds with my brothers who didn't really see things the way i did necessarily yeah what what you you learn is that every child has different parents right Mm. you know if you talk to your siblings, I guarantee you their experience is with different. Their isn't going to be the same as, as yeah. yours was. And my father was much nicer to my brothers than he, than he, than he was to me. And it's very unfortunate. And They couldn't necessarily see that. My mother saw it and other people saw it. But, you know, when I, when I discuss it with one of my brothers, he's like, fuck you. You know, dad was a great guy. You know, he did everything for me. Right. Of course. Go, hey, that's great. You're a fucking stockbroker. Your brother's a lawyer. I'm a pornographer, a punk rocker, and I'm into professional wrestling. Not so much.
0: Yeah. So you were like the black sheep, obviously. <laughs> and you know your dad um these sort of things were very foreign to him at the time obviously and he, he just didn't get it he didn't get you oh uh, he didn't get it he you didn't know, yeah like, uh, i hear i you know, see
1: so so this good this happened so my, my dad dies tells me you know i'm, I'm a loser and uh mm. right around last time like his girl i'm you know crazy in love with like dumps me um uh she's now my wife <laughs> well, that's a, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, but we broke up, and I, I wasn't really like yeah, I didn't want to break up at the time, and then I lost my job. You know, I was, I was, I was, I was editing music books, and because um, uh, you know, the writing thing and the publishing thing had taken uh you know nice thing i'd written my first book and i was being I, I had some some success as an author and then um i became a book editor because sort of the magazine world had changed and i don't know it just worked out good i was editing music biographies and you know, saying so anyway, but i lose the job it was like after 2008 and the you know stock market crashes and the banks crash and the economies in the toilet the recession and all this so let's see uh recap dad tells me i'm a loser girlfriend dumps me and i lose my job so i'm just like this like you know unemployed lonely guy with a cat and then my cat died oh so, my god so, so that was like, nice. i was like so that, i mean i talk about this in, in the book it was the summer of suck you know yeah like, like, it
0: was you know. a real shit uh, summer yeah yeah.
1: yeah 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 i was like oh fuck you know i was like mike edison stock is in the basement with no takers and uh you know gotta got turn this around somehow because i was kind of bummed my friend said you know ever everything about you know, talking to a therapist, and I hadn't really. Then it occurred to me. I was like the last Jewish guy in New York City who hadn't talked to a therapist. Oh, vey. There's a number of my head shrinker. She's really all right. Give her a call. I guess all right. This is us feeling overwhelmed. You know, and there's really no downside to paying someone to listen to you. I don't think. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, all these things. I mean, I sort of had to come out. I mean, the story has a happy ending. Look, I'm here talking to you guys, having a laugh. You know, I feel feel great. You yeah. Know, you know. And, you know, i made some other really very good decisions in my life. So, right, right. Well, um, and... you know, part of this is like, you know, you mm-hmm. can't forget, but you got to try to forgive the old man. for Yeah, just...
0: that's the thing. You know, he's still your biological. Well, was he your biological? No, you said you were yeah, an orphan. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I came right out of his dick. I can't even believe ah, okay. it. okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you came right out of that that jizz there. And, yeah, you know, it, well, you know, it, it happens. Sometimes uh, we have these relationships with either our mothers or fathers, and they just somehow we just uh, don't click sometimes and it's an unfortunate thing. But of course, you know, you got through it and you know, you got to forgive the old man.
1: Well, Uh, I tried to, but you know, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm older now, but I still think about it all the time. It's more like great right now. I mean, uh, I'm really, uh, uh, things are things are really okay. I think I'm most importantly is I'm the guy I wanted to be, not the guy that he told me I should be. Exactly. You know, this, yeah. This is fine. Freedom and you know, I mean, you know I'm. That should be. Of that, that that I should. I got my drums set up. Right. I can play, you know, at night if I want to, because I live in the country. No one, no one knocks at my door and complains. Everything's cool. You know. But you know, you you, you know, you're I don't know. You guys, parents. You know, you got kids, right? So you know, you, you, just your job is to protect your kids. Right. Your job is like to love your kids unconditionally. I mean, you know, I get it. Kids are trouble. Kids suck. I know a lot of bad kids. I know kids. You know, you know, you get a call in the middle of the night. Yeah, you got you know picked up outside the high school with a can of spray paint. That's the beginning of it. You know, that's there's the a game. lot of
0: kids out there that deserve to be in those school shootings, in my opinion. Oh, um, but that's another story. Um, really. But, really? Uh, <laughs> Was that too much, uh, I Mr. Erson?
1: Stern, Like from like what like from the 80s, Howard Stern. You know, that was like
0: <laughs> I thought that was a. Pl- really? I thought that was pretty good. Really? Yeah, it was pretty offensive, it was humorous. All the uh, cat ladies will like that one. Um, but yeah, don't repeat that though. Um
1: you're not getting getting much out of me for that one. Now, I'm not even I'm not even like you're not even getting the good heat from me, because uh, it was too easy, you know. Cheap heat. That was cheap heat.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, of course, that's what we do here. it's an alley oop you set it up i knock them down um that's just the way it goes here um but mr edison i gotta ask you though you know we're talking about your childhood and i'm you know you wrote for um screw magazine and other things
3: child. <laughs>
0: right right but i'm just uh wondering though mr edison um how old were you when you were first exposed to pornography if you can remember
1: uh early on uh, pornography, or yeah, pornography is a pretty big word but i definitely saw playboy magazines when i was 12 or 13 maybe maybe that's i don't know pretty normal some naked lady in the magazine I, sure. know, the kid the kid. Maybe, I was around that age too maybe a little, maybe a little younger than that i don't know, you know it's okay you that's find pretty one normal in someone's house. someone stole one from their dad like, you know, yeah. Like that. yeah 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 like national lampoon magazine i remember being in sixth grade and there was a uh, this beautiful girl, the the job rolling paper girl, she was fantastic. She had no shirt on selling rolling papers in this magazine. And uh, no, I was so, so in love with her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can, I ask, can I ask a question, um, Mr. Edison? Being involved as a writer for some of these uh, porn, pornographic magazines, did you ever get a chance to meet Ron Jeremy?
1: I, I never have, you know, uh, um, I know we've been in the same room more than once because he was friends with Al Goldstein, who I was friends with, but I've never met uh, Ron Jeremy and I'm probably uh, that's OK, you know, that's um, probably you the probably reason don't want to bring him. that up is Just because consider, I don't consider this like, like a like a deficit in my, in my life. And that's cool.
2: I, I can respect that. The reason I bring it up is because maybe you have or have not heard about the accusations that he was accused of um, with having
1: um yeah, yeah i hear I, you yeah, know I, I pay attention i hear all sorts of stuff yeah you know yeah that's that's not a turn on you know uh yeah it, it's a rough business you know i was never involved in the film end of it i did I did the porn magazines i worked in an office you know wasn't like there were naked girls like dripping from the fucking you know ceilings and, and it's <laughs> all you know, those like, you know photographs of other girls in the office um we put out tried to put out good magazines and you know sometimes it's hard to explain to people even that you were doing that you know i worked for hustler and i was proud to work for larry flint and to work and to know Al goldstein of screw was my friend and you know um and my book dirty 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 which is the book i uh my second book is really about all this it's about the history of men's magazines and a little bit about my experience in them you know it's hard to tell people that you know because you know, in a post-me too world, anytime yeah. you objectify a woman, you're kind of like stepping in it. But you know, I don't know. Like I said, I, mean, I wish someone would objectify me. I'm not. I guess I'm just not that good looking. <laughs> uh, so people look at naked girls. I mean, there there's pornography, and then there's pornography. Right. You know? Yeah. There's and a then, major difference. And then there's pornography, and it's the the, the last one I'm really not into. You know, because really. One man's erotica is another man's pornography. People are going to look at this stuff no matter what. It's, right. you know, dirty, dirty, dirty. I don't make a moral judgment. It's just an is, you, you know? Yes. I, yeah. I, I dig naked girls. I mean, whatever. And If you dig naked girls or naked men, whatever, as long as you're not into, like children, I mean, go right. for it. Right?
0: Absolutely. And do you feel like you've contributed to the degeneracy of American culture, Mr. Edison?
1: Well, one can only hope. I would.
0: Exactly. <laughs> that's my benchmark as well. I would only hope I could bring the heat like that.
1: Uh, you know, pot, this is my, this is it, you know, my career, pot, high times, right? And and pornography, you know, a screw and a hustler and, and those books and, and, uh, punk rock and pro wrestling, pot, pornography, punk rock pro wrestling my first editor the woman who edited, edited my first book says dude that's not a resume that's a crime scene
3: <laughs> <laughs> i like
0: that i would just call that uh the three pillars of uh life
1: you know it was like pre-internet sleaze culture you know? sure, I mean, sure you know it's, it's all very rock and roll in some it is
0: actually it really is you know, it's very punk rock mr edison yeah, it's i yeah. gotta admit gotta admit it's very greasy roll. but i mean that's how authentic it is though it's real
1: it it is it is it is real and if you're looking for authenticity know, listen, I got some, some despair. I mean, you know, it's like, we really were there doing it. I mean, you could, I mean, I'm not making this up because, you know, at the time I did my book, there were people who were like kind of fabricating their memoirs Mm. when people faintly had kind of like brushed up their resumes and, you know, exaggerated stories. And they were really concerned, you know, my own book. I said, I'm leaving shit out of this book because I don't think people would believe it.
0: That's so good. I don't
1: have to add shit. I'm I'm toning it down because it wouldn't be believable.
0: And Mike, really quickly here, um, when did you lose your virginity? I'm very curious. Know not that I want to date you, uh, but strange, I just want to know that
1: I have. maybe um, <laughs> uh, I think we should save this for another day. Uh, <laughs> another you, know, uh, you know, it was uh, to a lovely young woman. And uh, it was all, you know, I think, I don't know. It was a little kind of teenage and normal, I guess. OK, Let's just leave it there.
0: I hear you. Understood. Understood. Teenage,
1: normal, consensual. Uh, right. not you. Amazing, but definitely a step in the right direction. <laughs>
0: Right, it, it, she didn't, Um, you know, it wasn't one of those, it wasn't one of those like you are a complete disappointment after you banged her though, right?
1: Oh, maybe, you know what uh, I mean? Okay, like, okay. Dude, you know, first time and you're, you know. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, but. um, That was a good I, callback, I going Mike. i out with that girl for a while, so, you know, and uh, I got the hang of it pretty fucking quick. There you go. <laughs> yeah. My man. Mike, I have a question.
2: I have actually two questions for you. Before we start talking about your latest book, uh, Sympathy for the Drummer, um, about Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. Tell me, tell us a little bit about your association with G.G. Allen and then tell us a, your story, if you will, for the people who haven't heard. Uh, everywhere I go, I have fun. Did I say Yeah, I have fun everywhere where I go. Tell us about your experience with Ozzy. I and your relationship that. and your relationship with G.G. Allen.
1: Well, all right, we're going to give you the the Reader's Digest version, the Cliff Notes on this one. I mean, I get asked about Gigi all the time, and, uh, you know, it's strange. There's such a myth, and uh, the Gigi thing is, um, you know, it was a long time ago, right? So, I mean, it was like 30 years ago, right, that I was playing with Gigi Allen. And the thing is, I I really like Gigi, and I counted him as a friend. So, in in the book, I I kind of talk to him, you know, talk to the man, not the myth, though – As I say, you know, if you know the story of uh, Liberty Valance, you know the movie John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. At the end of the movie, because Jimmy Stewart supposedly the guy that shot Liberty Valance, who's you know the biggest badass in town, John Wayne, turns out he didn't shoot him. But the newspaper doesn't want to print that story because they like, you know, because the myth outsold the man, so they sold the myth. Uh, Gigi, the 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 man and the myth were the same. I mean, all that shit that you hear about him was true. I mean, it was like that. It was dangerous playing with him. You know, it was definitely, I mean, I stopped playing with them because it got out of hand, and maybe I didn't need to be around that as much, you know. Uh, but, But, you know, file it under like me acting out a little bit, being attracted to something that was outrageous, shock art. You know, I thought, but I also, Gigi really loved country music <laughs> and, uh, I like country music too. So no I mean, we, kidding. And we like to drink bourbon and listen to Jerry Lee Lewis and Hank Williams. And, uh, nice. uh, I don't know. We got along. Okay. You know, I thought, I mean, he was very, he could be very, very funny and very charismatic. Um, the song I wrote is called Gigi Allen died last night. You, you know, it's on, it's on the record, that, a record version of, I have fun everywhere I go, but it's also on YouTube. Gigi Allen died last night. You can find it, um, kind of tells the story a little bit, but, um. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's nothing I can add to like the myth of Gigi Allen. And I try not to honestly. People call me, you know, to ask me at all times. It's kind of, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm proud that I, I knew Gigi and played with him, but it's, uh, it's not necessarily relevant to where I am right now. You know, I mean, it's cool. I mean, nothing like playing with Gigi Allen to get some punk rock street cred. It's, yeah. well, the the, re-
2: the reason <laughs> yeah. I, the reason I asked that is because knowing the history of G.G. Allen uh, from when he performed live was always, you know, jumping into fights. Uh, not to jump from this subject, but if I just may a- a- uh, add, back about 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, I did a, a documentary about my involvement in music based on the book that I wrote. And one of the guys that we interviewed for the in a, for the video uh, was Gigi Allen's brother, Merle.
1: Yeah, Merle's, Merle's a sweet guy. I know him well. Yeah,
2: yeah, he was very, very nice. A fucking freak, but a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But my question to you is like, you know, you you hear about all these. In fact, I've seen some of the footage. I never saw a live uh, Gigi Allen show, Um, but you hear about him shitting on stage and beating up people in the audience. I mean, was it always like
1: that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, all things that you hear are true. You can see the videos. I mean, uh, it was there. And like, you know, at one point it's like, wow, this is disruptive. And it's so fucking over the top, you know, and it really is. He had a kind of a cogent worldview that rock and roll should be dangerous. But then he's like, hey, maybe I don't want to be involved in this so much, you know. Okay.
2: the the reason I ask you that, though, is like you just said, like, you know, knowing Gigi was like he, he lived the life on stage, off stage. Am I right in saying that? So, if he lived like that, were you ever afraid that he'd take a dump on your floor
1: or something? <laughs> oh, throw the fuck up, will you? Like, no. Like, no, I no, mean, no, no. Listen, he stayed at my house all the time. When we were making a record and, like, whatever. So it's like, I told I him. You had to him, ask. We, we, you know, yeah, he was always, I mean, I let him stay at my house. but Like, really? They're like, well, yeah, because I <laughs> throw him the fuck out, you know? Um, you know, you know, I, I, well,
2: the reason i ask is i never knew the guy I, I i mean but i heard so many stories about him and and then having the opportunity again through the the album that i've had from you for years now i always it always crossed my mind like what was this guy about and how could a man and don't get me wrong i'm not blaming you like or, or even giving the guy a hard time or you but You hear all these stories about a guy like this who does these outrageous things. And you wonder, well, how could you be friends with a guy who you don't know what he's going to do next? Something like that, that outrageous. You
1: know what I'm saying? I, 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 I kind of trusted him, to be honest with you. I mean, as much as you know, you, you know, we could be friends. We we're, we're friends. He called me a friend. He called me collect from prison. That's what friends do. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. That's I, cool. It's what friends do. Now it's it's hard to justify it, you know. And it's you know one of these things why I don't really dig talking about it too much because more than wrestling, wrestling you always say like, hey, if you don't get it, no explanation will do, and if you get it no explanation is necessary, right? It's, it's, it's like what, what Dostoevsky said about God. If you get it, no explanation is necessary. And if you don't, no explanation will do. You know, either you have faith or you don't. What well, G.G. Allen's like, you can't explain it to somebody, you know? So if you're coming in cold to this or looking at it from a distance or, or you're grossed out, you're pro- if you're grossed out, you're probably right. Of course you're right. You know, it's really hard to justify any of that behavior. Um, but, you know, it was a time and a place. Yeah, you know? that, I would
0: I mean, have to... I, well, not, it, not,
1: like I said, I'm not like walk, walking away from it, but... uh. You know, it's a long time ago.
0: Right. I I have to imagine, of course, that was just a gimmick. Um, Obviously, he's not going around and doing what he's doing on stage everywhere.
1: That's the thing, thing, Michael. It wasn't just a gimmick, you know. And uh, he really, really believed in the shock art. And he also made a couple of really good records you know i mean let 's not forget that part like he he cut a, some really good punk rock records, really fun, some really stupid, but some really sharp and funny and noisy and, and you know he made some good music, usually not because he worked too fast and he tried and things got cheap he did things on the cheap, and you know might, might have taken a moment more. But he was very capable of making, making a good record. Um, let's not forget that part of it, you know? Right. Uh,
0: Don't forget about and, the part that he uh, grew up in a cabin either. You know, that also uh, affects you in life.
1: Or, I mean, you know, like, you know, I mean, his father, you know, who's like, you know, crazy. Jesus freaking is, you know, you've probably seen the, all the documentaries. Yeah. Anyway, uh, listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud that I get to be part of, of this experience. I'm glad I get to be, like, part of the story. I was there in a place and time. But, uh, like I said, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it could be it's, it's hard to uh, put it into
2: context.
0: I hear
1: you. That's, yeah,
2: I, yeah, I can completely respect that. And again, the only reason I bring up that that question,
1: dude, because you're a mark for Gigi Allen, right? <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. okay, you're marking for. Well, G- no, you
2: you you okay. said it. He, he was a man who lived Gigi, like yeah. off stage yeah. as well. You know, he, li- he lived he lived
1: like. I got to tell you something else. Gigi was a mark for his own gimmick, like we say in the business, because at some point you had so many people telling him he was God. There you go. that, you know, he starts believing this. I mean, not really, really, but all of a sudden it's like, it, it gets so blown up that it's like, really, there's no, we're not going to get another good record out of this, you know, and we're not going to get like that, that night at the bar where we're playing Patsy Klein on the jukebox. That's not going to happen again because it got a little crazy and a little out of hand. Uh, that having happens. A lot yeah. to do with having all these kids, telling him he's God. And holy shit, like still people, and I'm putting in you in this group, Mike, still say, wow, tell me about Gigi Allen. You know, I mean, it's 2023. What year of Gigi time is it it's been like 20 years ago, 25 years ago? 25
0: years ago, the, I believe. The
1: early 90s, right? 93, 93, I think he died. So
0: Yeah, 93.
1: Is that right? I'm not I'm looking at anything. I'm guessing because I'm trying to remember where yeah, I was. Yeah, he was 36 you know, he years
0: old when he died, by the way.
1: 36 yeah I and mean, i wasn't surprised he died i was surprised he lasted that fucking long you know I, mean, I was totally sad you know uh, you know but you can't be shocked the way he was going
0: yeah i mean he always said he was going to commit suicide on stage actually on
1: stage well, yeah. all, like fucking like performance art right exactly
0: yeah i, I, I mean I, I understand
1: you know i mean i mean yeah you know, I mean, geez, didn't Rolling Stones write a song about that? Haven't there been movies made about that? Like, you know, taking the audience out with you, killing yourself on stage, you know, right? Rolling Stones sang about it in suicide right on stage. It's only rock and roll, but I like it, you know, except, uh, you know, make us too pussy to actually do us the favor of offing himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there, how's that? Uh-huh? That was uh-huh. good.
0: I was waiting for that.
1: Yeah, I still got it.
0: There you go. <laughs> I think you're uh, still doing a tour,
1: right? Currently. Uh- working on it. I play, I play, uh, you know, the irony to all of this stuff is that, you know, all this punk rock and punk and porn and all stuff is like, I play gospel music, you know, I mean, I mean more like, you know, folk, spiritual blues, you know, kind of dark country gospel, you know, I'm not, you know, going to church on Sundays, though. I probably not the worst idea. Uh, Uh, but I but I play a lot of gospel music. You know that's my thing. Gospel from the garage, I call it. And if you listen to my last record, it's a lot of Old Testament songs because I believe in these songs. You know they're like protest songs. There are songs that are old and you know were kind of popularized during the civil rights era. So I, I sing "Go Down Moses," a song about being free. I sing "Joshua at the Battle of Jericho," a song about overthrowing underdogs. You know. Um, uh, that's so, you know, it's, it's weird just cause like, uh, also if I say gospel, people don't know it necessarily what to think, but, um, you know, it's pretty revved up rock and roll band right. like, the Train We always were doing kind of gospel. We were just kind of like garage rocking the shit out of it.
0: I love but, that. Uh, I, and and my going back to, uh, what, um, uh, Mr. Hideous asked you in terms of, um, one Ozzy Osbourne stealing your weed. I, I got to know that story. <laughs> that's yeah, that amazing.
1: Move too. Yeah. That's uh, douchey. got to hear that. That wasn't cool. Well, I you should check out I mean, the whole story. Is the song is called "Ozzy High Times" and me. And uh, the, the short of it is, so this is like before Ozzy got onto MTV. They did the reality show. There wasn't really a big market for Ozzy Osborne at the time. You know, you got to remember, in Black Sabbath is kind of like, hasn't really put out a convincing record in a long time. They've changed members four hundred times. Um, but Ozzy is like, you know, he's like Elvis and Stoner landing Black Sabbath is the best, right? So right. they call up High Times and do you want? It? Can we do this? But uh, well, we got to be on the cover, and I'm like, yeah, of course. Uh, but you got to kind of like pose with pot. It's kind of like the way we do photo shoots around here. Um, Ozzy is supposedly sober at the time. Says yes. And again, no one's taking Ozzy seriously. He's not getting a second. You know, Rolling Stone is not returning his phone call. That's for sure. It's, he's just not there yet. In a couple of years, this changes. But this is where we are. You know, in uh, 2000, maybe 2001. Um, and so we set up the, the High Times photo shoot. And the way this goes. Boy, these are different times, man. Pot is so illegal, and you need a lot of weed for these photo shoots. You need a lot of good weed, green weed, intact bud, big buds, photogenic pot. Fresh weed, sort of yes. yes. Yeah, you Ph- sort of photo photogenic food. pot. I like Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So we usually buy some and rent some. You know, we know dealers, we know friends, we know growers. You know, we know people who do this. So we need like a pound of weed to make the photo shoot work and to make it work out for the guys. Like we buy a couple, couple of Z's. Nice. Uh, okay. A Couple of lids. Good times. Know? Good times. Uh, uh, it's $400 an ounce, you know, we is them as expensive, right? But we buy buy some and, you know, and then like we kind of bar the rest and the guy gets the bragging rights to be in the magazine. And here's the thing, we weigh the pot before the shoot, we weigh the pot afterwards because some pot is going to, someone's going to get lost. You know, some you know, somebody might smoke a joint or somebody might just get moving it around. you, you never know, right? right? It's usually not that much. But we're light like several ounces a week. Right? That's, okay. <laughs> and what you might find out is like Ozzy and his fucking guys are like stuffing your pockets with it. So, oh yeah. man.
3: I mean, it's
1: Ozzy Osbourne, if he asked, I would have given him anything, you know? You know, I would have you know named my cat after him, you know, like whatever he wants. <laughs> Ozzy, sure. You know, it's Ozzy fucking Osbourne, but it's like it was kinda of like not cool and uh, so I, I mean, I, I dropped the dime on him. You know, I mean, I told the story before. It was like, fuck him. You know, it's like because I got in trouble for it. Like, like inside the paranoid high times world, they're like, Mike, you know, this photo thing's going over budget, and you're the publisher. What are you going to do? Where are we going to get the money? Because also, there's a problem of like writing a check to a pot dealer when you're an actual legitimate company. You know? Yeah, uh, that's true. You know, so so it's kind of tricky to come up with like you know a thousand bucks to give the pot dealer, and like trying to put it in the expenses and what uh, stuff. But also you know it was just like they're also part of the thing is in high times the old hippies didn't want Ozzy Osbourne to be the magazine you know you know a couple of douchebags in particular the names are in the book but uh, it's been long enough now you know uh, I, don't, I don't feel like I got we name like
0: you. names here mike we don't like to you know be <laughs> oh, bitches about
1: thanks. it we like
0: to out people here
1: <laughs> yeah you know, it's tall, i i i name names in my book you know okay. and, you know there's always there one guy i realized eh, i should have given a break i shouldn't put his last name in his first name would have been enough but all the high time staff were named by name you know because you know, you know most you know i mean a couple of good guys and a lot of paranoid idiots were all trying to like you know step over each other because they all wanted to be the editor it was gross and stoned all the time and the died the little hippies you know you know you know the former baby editor is like you put ozzy osbourne on the cover we're going to lose everybody because we're hippies we're not heavy metal and like what are you talking about everybody likes ozzy osbourne really likes black sabbath so hippies these hippies like, yeah these older
0: know, hippies like they don't want to put but put them over in other words I was
1: like everybody likes black sabbath yeah you know yeah, but it was like this big fight of putting him on it was going to ruin everything so and then he comes and he steals the pot and this is a big thing so i i, I Dropped a dime, you know. I called the New York Post, and uh, they put it on page six. And I told the story. I, 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 you know, I kept it cool. I, I said, "Hey, you know, the, 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 there was a skull filled with weed when we started, you know, that Ozzy was holding, and when he got done, it was a lot lighter than when we started." <laughs> You know, it's not a yeah. story I told them. I didn't call it a thief in the paper. That's that wouldn't have been mentioned, But yeah, it was heavily implied. <laughs> um, they loved it. They ran it in uh, the post and page six and it got picked up. Howard Stern was talking about it the next day or that morning, right, when the paper came out. Wow. Oh my god, this is how you sell magazines, right? That's you know? yeah, that was great. Yeah. You know, I mean he, I mean, so that's it. Magazine's like the best selling issue in the history of high times. And then Sharon calls and said, make the story stop. Oh I'm like, shit. Oh. Oh yeah, I get yelled at by Sharon. That was kind of good, right? That was cool. So, you know, you know, put that in, you know, my resume too. Got yelled at by Sharon Osbourne. Have so
0: you, that, by the way, Mister Edison? Uh, you you mentioned Howard Stern. Um, were you ever a, a listener of, of Howard?
1: Yeah, on and off for years. Sure. Did you
0: ever listen to the uh, time when he interviewed the insane clown posse and they were fighting with Sharon Osbourne?
1: I remember that don't remember that episode but i could probably imagine it you could
0: head. you gotta you gotta find it on youtube uh very easy to find you you gotta listen back to that one that was gold they're fighting back and forth it, it is the most hilarious thing ever
1: so anyway that's the that's the aussie story so but, you know and then you should make it t- you know we sold a lot of magazines but i mean jesus christ the guy asked to give him whatever he wanted seriously
0: yeah what a dick
1: yeah, it wasn't cool. It was to him, and it was like one of like his entourage. Tony Iommi came by too. He was really nice. I only talked to him for half a second. I mean, Ozzy was really damaged. I mean, he was just like sort of shuffling around, and, you know. Mm-hmm. But but he seemed nice. He was very polite. He was very professional until that, you know. Well,
0: <laughs> you know, what what do you expect from
1: him? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty damaged. He's pretty but well. I, I he's Black gonna die. Sabbath, to I'm still I'm still a fan, you know. I mean I mean listen all this all this uh, smack talk about Ozzy Osbourne. I'm still I mean, yeah. You're still gonna, gonna be. I got to say, I went to their, like, reunion farewell tour just because uh, I could because they were at Madison Square Garden. I lived down the street. Oh, shit. I like, said to my buddy, we're going to see Black Sabbath. You know, it's their last time around. Like, we learned to smoke pot and to these guys when we were, like, 13. We got to go. And it was great. I got to say, it was really great. It, it was, like, much, much better than I expected. It, it was really, really great.
0: Very
2: nice. Tell, tell us about your, your latest book, Sympathy for the Drummer. Uh, which is a story for those of you who don't know about Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, the drummer of the Rolling Stones.
1: Well, yeah, and the important thing is that you know I, I wrote the book before he died, I and mean, people people need to know that if you're coming in in in, in late. Uh, I wrote this book because I love Charlie Watts and I love the Rolling Stones, and I I'm a drummer who's been mystified and you know mesmerized by Charlie Watts and you know, the things he does with the Stones to make it swing, and you know it's so beautifully, audaciously, but, like, with a lot of poetry, uh, you know, that I've been thinking about this book for a long time, and, um, and this is what came out. So it's not, it's not a biography. It's uh, kind of like a wild-eyed appreciation, you know. Actually, I talk a lot about Black Sabbath in the book. You know, there were, like, 40 guys in Black Sabbath over the years, I mean, I mean like, like, seriously, who the fuck knew? I mean, how many people were in Black Sabbath? You know, like, because, you know, at one point it's Tony Iommi and three guys, I don't even remember their fucking names. It's like, you can't convince me this is Black Sabbath, even if, you know, the lawyer and the record company tell you it is. And that's kind of the thing, it's like, you know, can the Stones be the Stones without Charlie? What does he bring? You know, you know, could the Who be the Who without Keith Moon? You know, it's about group identity, and it's about, like, finding the right guy for the right job, you know. Uh... It's you know it's about a lot, a lot of things like that, like that. not just uh, you know the history of Charlie Watts because really his Charlie Watts biography he was born then he was the drummer in the Rolling Stones I mean who cares about the rest you know? <laughs> you know but he had like the best seat in the house to watch the Bick and Keith show.
2: <laughs> what well, is there a fascination with him that you have? Well yeah apparently
1: <laughs> <laughs> obviously yeah because he's the greatest he's the I mean it's, it's not that he has to be the greatest drummer in the world that's not. The question, the question is, he's the greatest rock, Rolling Stones drummer, and if you believe they are or were at some point, you know, maybe for a moment, the greatest rock and roll band of the world. That's pretty significant. And of course, I'm fascinated with him because uh, if you're a drummer and you listen to it, it's like, wow, what is he doing? He's doing stuff you just cannot copy. Listen, Mike, you can go online and type in how to play like Neil Peart, how to play Rush, right? And you'll find ten thousand kids playing Tom Sawyer perfectly in their bedrooms. Type in how to play like Charlie Watts. You'll find like nothing because no one can teach it. It's, it's, it's so. It's off center and weird. It's very unique. It is so. Cause it's harder to play like Charlie Watts than it is like Neil Peart, and people don't really get that because all those notes are easy to put together. It's that one little thing he does that ghost note, the opening of the hi hat in the wrong place. That little thing where he speeds up or you know, or or it's not quite right and they leave it in. That makes it so weird and special and cool. And that's why when you hear the Stones, you know it's the Stones. It's got a lot to do with Charlie Watts. You know. So yeah. So the book's also about, like, old blues drummers and jazz drummers and, you know, and and what the feeling of jazz and blues and, you know, black church music and things like this are in rock and roll. Even when it's getting sleazy and druggy it's all still there. I always said
2: I mean, I kind of understand what you're saying now because throughout the years, you know, from my youth, knowing who the Stones were and and the music that they were putting out back in the 70s into the 80s, that's when I learned to appreciate music. But I, I, you know, I, I can honestly say I never really got into the stones as much as some other people did, but I always respected them. Knowing what Charlie Watts did, I never really saw it. And again, this is, I'm not a drummer. I wouldn't know, but I never really understood like how you're putting it now. So yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. They have a unique individuality about their musicianship within the music that they play.
1: Uh, So when I was growing up, and and drummers are not the smartest fucking people in the world. They never (laughs) are.
0: They
2: never are.
1: But then again, either guitar players, okay? Rock musicians as as a class, (laughs) as a species, as a race, you know, aren't the most evolved. But... um. You know, when I was a kid, it's like, oh, you know, Charlie Watts, you know, he doesn't do anything I can't do. You know, people used to say that about Ringo Starr, too. It's like, what are you kidding now? be wow. like, oh, my God, Ringo's got so much feel, you know. Yeah, of course he does. I mean, just, I mean, I don't even, you know, I'm not even, like, crazy about the Beatles, but there's no denying that he is, like, so important to their fucking son. He's such a great drummer, Ringo. Um, and Charlie Watts adds everything. By the way, you know, John Bonham, too, he's not replaceable. But he doesn't, John Bonham doesn't work in in the stones charlie watts wouldn't work in what's up if they don't find each other maybe yeah. these things don't happen if keith moon doesn't find those guys and they don't tolerate him what does he do for the rest of his life you know uh i mean he died young as it is but i mean keith moon can only play with a certain amount of people who are going to tolerate that kind of like i mean disregard for you know tempo and any sort of formal organization <laughs> of the beat you know? and yet he's you know he's one of the greatest drummers of all time but it only works in that context you know Mm-hmm you know these things aren't completely modular
2: it makes sense now that you bring it up though the way you 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 know you spell it out for me
1: well i want you to read the book and then get back to me all right that's (laughs) yes he wants an essay
0: mike on the double (laughs) by the way the um by the way the rolling stones i think are still touring
1: ish i don't know what they're doing i mean they said you know keith always said no charlie no stones and then after he died it took him about 10 fucking seconds to find a new drummer so, <laughs> you know look, 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 look you know look, like you know zz top you know the bass player died they didn't even take the day off they just like put a fake beard on on the roadies yeah, so, that's how you know.
0: it goes you know just replace <laughs> them right away and uh, you know speaking of all these bands and speaking of uh, about these older bands um Mike and Mike, both of you, um, what, what do you, what do both of you gentlemen feel about these bands that, you know, they were major bands and they're still touring today? You know, people like the Rolling Stones, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Metallica.
1: Um, well, you know, Metallica's still got the guys. They're most, still going. You know, I mean, the, the, the bass player's changed a couple times, but it's kind of organic. Listen, it, well, you know, it's, it, it's okay, here's what it is, dude. You ready? It's late stage capitalism it's uh, okay it's trying to make the marks the suckers think yeah. that this show can go on forever that's what it is you know uh, and that's all it is and it's part of nostalgia nostalgia is sometimes good sometimes kind of bad you know uh but you know i mean you, I'm, I'm really gonna go see journey sticks and rio speedwagon first of all i don't, like, I don't really like those bands when they actually had their <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah but oh my god eighties! like like what the fuck um, <laughs> (laughs) you know i mean you just see the bands that are coming through my town it's like uh and you know it's a question like you know of authenticity right right uh uh,
0: so this is this is in other words a corporate grab like you said just to pander to the marks out there and thinking they're still going to relive the glory days
1: it um, can't be the same thing. Do the Stones are like on like you know, you know? I mean, first of all, it's 2023. All the sex and sleaze and politics have been taken out of it. Right. Uh, I mean, they invented it. They are the kings of it. It's great to go see Mick and Keith. I'm glad they're doing it. You know. But you know, when you went to a Rolling Stones concert in the 70s, you know, there was an aura of danger and excitement about it. That you know, now you bring the kids and you know, and they sell more ice cream cones than you know than anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I mean, you know, you're not gonna. I, I mean, it's much different.
2: Obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously, obviously. He's right. He's totally right. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, uh, let me not even go that way. Here we are now. We still see bands like Kiss is doing their last tour. The Who is still
0: uh, out there, and the the Eagles are still out there. It's crazy.
2: And 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 what I'm getting at is, is, (laughs) if, if I may, all I'm saying is that these bands that have been around forever, I respect them. Like when Bowie died in 2016, I was heartbroken. That that was he was an inspiration to me. But other other bands, like the Stones and, 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 and all you know the bands that we just mentioned, they're, they're still doing it. I don't know how they do it. I, 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 I need time to write music. I need time to make something that I feel proud of to say, "This was my work of art." And in some cases, even a band like Kiss, a like Kiss lost it well after 1980. And they just, you know, they started putting out shit music, and it was all about commercialism and how much money they were making. They were, you know, becoming millionaires. And right. when you get to that point, you kind of lose, in, in my personal humble opinion, you kind of lose the edge that you had when you first started. Um, and it's not just a band like Kisses. The Stones are another perfect example. They had great music in the '70s, '60s, '70s, even into the '80s, but then they they get to a level where they're so successful. And it's almost like your nine-to-five job where you've got to create another record that's going to sell X amount of units to satisfy not only your record label but to keep paying that – keep those checks coming in for yourself. Am I right?
1: Well, yeah, but (laughs) – yeah, but I mean – but first of all, Kiss was always about the money. Kiss oh, was yeah. professional wrestling. It's always about the money with those guys. And you know, yeah, they play, they made some. I mean, they made wrote some good. Uh, Songs and anthems, whatever. They don't need to make another good record to keep the show on the road. The Stones don't need to make, you know. I know you feel like you have to make an artistic statement, but, you know, my, aren't you special? You know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you know Mickey and Keith aren't so precious because they already made Exile on Main Street, too. They already made the best fucking record of all time. Right. A lot of records that are really good. I don't want to hear a new Stones record, honestly. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather, if they promise how to put on another record, I promise to go see them. You know, <laughs> because. You know, unless they got something really cool to say, actually they put out that blues record. I it's pretty about eight or nine years ago. That record's really good. It's just blues covers, but man, no one can play it like they can. They're just like in a room playing it, and I thought I'd buy it and say, well, this will like amuse me for you know. I'll listen to it because I like listening to Charlie Watts and the guys, and they do this really well. I ended up playing it over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you go out and buy a new Kiss record, you have to. There's, there's got to be something wrong with you.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're horrible. They've been horrible for years. You know, you know, well,
1: decades. I'm sure, but you know, you have to go see their show. They're just going to play Kiss Alive, and it's going to be great. You know? Right. That's
0: another She's thing gonna, I was going to say, uh, Mike. I'm not sure if they're actually playing any of like new material. I think they're just going to play all their older stuff.
1: So. Yeah, that's all anybody wants to see. Well, of course. You know, yeah. I know if they feel like Gene decides or some angle. They play a new song. They can sell some, make more money. But they're going to go and they're going to like. Do all the fucking songs, and the and the fake guy in the cat suit is going to play the thing, and the fake Ace Freely is going to do the fake Ace Ace Freely thing, and you know you're going to get Strutter and Deuce and da 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 down the line until they end up with a giant amount of fireworks and rock and roll all night, and everyone's going to go happy. Right. That's it. That's, that's it. what people want. I actually think that's an okay thing because you know. Then if you go see the stones, I don't know if the fans are happy. Who might to fucking like it? You True
0: know, It's like seeing you know, an old know,
1: I'm not going to that show. right. I don't want to stand in a fucking room with eighty thousand people watching like these old guys doing this thing. You know, I did go see the Who though, and I gotta tell you it was really good. Uh, but you got to go in there, knowing it that they're playing with an orchestra. The, the, the set's limited to Tommy and Quadrophenia, and um, they did get a great drummer after all that time, you know, in Zach Starkey. But it's like it's not a Who concert. It's 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 something else. It's this presentation of the Who, and they really came to play. I mean, they, they Townsend really threw down. So I left really kind of fucking happy. Was it the same as seeing the Who in 1975? Of course not, you know. Um, but in its way, it was much much better than seeing them in the 80s when Kenny Jones was playing when they kind of fucking suck.
0: by the way we mentioned metallica earlier and yes they still are uh, currently on tour right now with a new member but he's been in the band for a while as you said the bass player um
1: he was logical he was adjacent you know uh, i mean yeah
0: also played for ozzy osbourne at one time i was just going to mention really quickly here that you know they put out a new album and the new album stinks it's terrible i I hate it i tried giving it a a shot i heard them on the howard stern show recently playing the new songs. I was just curious. I thought, well, let's hear the new music. So I did. And I thought, yeah, this is shit.
2: Yeah, I haven't liked them since they put out their third album, Masters of Puppets. To tell you the truth.
1: Listen, it was, it's, four, it's music for 14-year-olds with skateboards. I mean, Metallica, I, you know, which is cool and inside me somewhere is a 14-year-old skateboard but you know i'm not really there right now so it's like, you know i mean whatever i, I, I know they're hard working they're
0: uh, they're very hard working yeah they, those guys you know they're all out they do a great job playing like 50 damn songs all in one concert and i get it but i mean
1: it, i'm sure they put on a good shot if you're into it yeah, I'm you know
0: i'm just not interested in seeing metallica in 2023 is what i'm saying
1: yeah, Dude, in like, 2023 is probably more valid. Like, like near where I I live in the local, like you know, venue, the shed here. At the end of the summer, it's Rod Stewart and Cheap Trick. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. Until you realize it's 2023.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is this at a county fair. What's going on here?
1: <laughs> you, you know, it's like it's like I mean that that would have been like it, it was it was too much too late twenty years ago.
3: Yeah.
2: So it, it, again, I think it all goes back to like you know when you're. No matter who you are, what if you're a band like you said, Ario, Speedwagon, or Journey, or any of those bands from back then, and you're doing gigs now, Foreigner, uh, uh uh whoever.
0: Blondie's still uh, doing I, gigs.
2: Yeah, and whatever. And, and 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 you know what? I guess if you're in that position where that's your forte, that's how you make money. I guess you really don't have much of a choice unless you decide you want to go work at Walmart that and shells,
0: Yeah, you know? this is all about the money for sure.
1: That's obviously, kid, you know? Mike, 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 Mike. You're dude. cynical, dude. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You're not. right. You're absolutely right. Well,
0: that's true. You're not lying. We all kind of I, are. You know, I,
1: think, I think the Blondie Band is really good. You know, people seem to really you know like them. and They came to put on a really good show. People love Debbie Harry, man. In New York City, I mean, man, she's like, everybody's in love with her. She's just like, did everything right, despite whatever kooky bad records they may have made. But And she is just like. You know, everybody respects her and loves her and likes those songs. And apparently the band is real, real good. And I know The Damned is playing all the time these days. And people tell me their shows are great. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh uh, I don't know now the damned. I can dig. I, I still love the it's damned to this day. It's still 2023 there. You know, I saw the flesh tones this week. They were my good friends. They were amazing. Listen, these guys are 70 years old. They've been playing nonstop since 1976. They're like last of the Maxis Kansas city bands, you know, that were came out of that group with Debbie and, and, you know, you know Blondie and the Ramones, who, you know, were their friends in suicide and all, all these bands that are like the Max's scene more than the CBGB's, but Max's and CBGBs. Uh, and they're still playing without any significant lineup change. And they're the best rock and roll band in the world. And I saw, you know, they played a big sold out show in New York City this week uh, with the hoodoo gurus, uh, which I avoided because I don't really understand the hoodoo gurus um, <laughs> like with the three of us. It sounds like music for like, like chicks. I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, it's not really my thing. Sounds uh, like a yeah. video. I'll, I'll say that I'll probably get yelled at, but it's a, it's a little weird, jangly and chick friendly for my taste, but the, uh, the flesh dog, I mean, God bless them because they play in this big room, but I saw them the night before at a bar down the shore and they own the place and they always own the place because they're the best. They have a work ethic, they have style, they they put on a show, they put the audience in front of themselves. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, you know, the, show, audience, the show is about the audience, you know?
0: True. Um, if they if they you know so if they're enjoying the music, the I think that's, that's, dogs, that's Anybody
1: listen, they're still playing around, you know, they play I mean, they play in California, they play in Pennsylvania, they play in Europe all the time. I mean they're the best. You know, it's, it's, it's perfectly, you know, good, fun, rock and roll, nonstop fucking dance, punk garage energy. You know, it's fucking awesome. I mean, the shame would be to come out and suck.
0: That's true. Yeah. (laughs)
1: I, I, I mean, that would be the fucking thing. Right. I mean, look at Iggy Pop, man. You've seen the pictures of him lately? Iggy's seven oh years old. He looks like a dinosaur. <laughs> he's still still going at it. Still he's put, fucking great. He's, he's done more shirtless gigs than any human being on earth. <laughs> and, and he's still doing it. And you know, what are you going to do? Tell Iggy to put his shirt on? Dude, God bless him. He's a fucking hero.
0: He's uh, 76 years young.
1: Jesus fucking 76. And you see what he's doing? And he looks like he's having a great time. And, you know, and he's the, he's the real deal. You know, no, Ain't no one going to talk smack about Iggy Pop.
0: True. That's true. I mean, I, we, we I, do respect, uh, even though, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, or at least I was, you know, sort of shitting on some of these people, but um, it still takes a lot of time and energy to still go out there and perform uh, but, but well. Jimmy
1: wasn't good in the first place, okay? So, this, this is a <laughs> <point>. you know. <laughs> I,
2: I, I don't want to come across, like, making it sound like I didn't like any of those guys. Yeah, I don't want to hate I, on I'm, these guys. I'm not all. disrespecting them. I'm simply saying, for me, it, it I I need a certain process to create music and be artistic i i don't think i could do it on a full-time basis i would have to work with other people to create music
1: uh, again aren't you special
0: <laughs> well good for you mike
1: oh, well, well. <laughs> Yeah, well, dude I'm, I'm trying you know i mean i you know i wish i had more collaborators i like uh you know working with other people but i'm here in my, my garage and my guitars and my drums and making stuff i'll make another record i'll do another tour and uh honestly i i you know i i'll Get around a little bit, but maybe maybe I'll make a big when I'm 65, you know. Maybe being in it long longer, you know, the long hauls is, is where it is. You never you know. know. Look how you know at the end, of Leonard Cohen was playing. He was like at the end of his career, he was playing to the biggest you know audiences of his life, and he was really good. You know, also he's not leaping around the stage pretending he's a teenager like Mick Jagger does. Not that Leonard Cohen ever did that. Bob Dylan, 80 years old, his concerts in the last 10 years have been amazingly good. Like and, and this and he has he's the one guy that isn't playing greatest hits. He makes new. Records and this current tour he's on, it's so mellow and so kind of noir and groovy, and but it's not over the top rock. It's like what eighty-year-old Bob, 80 Bob Dylan should be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you heard "Rough and Roddy Ways," he's telling stories. It's mellow. You're not hearing any FM radio hits, and he's not even changing the set. He's doing the same show every night. It's really dialed in. So I think it's brilliant because this is you got to respect that, dude. He's made a great piece of art. You know, but that's kind of crazy because also his last few records are really good, too. Talking like going back into the early 90s, he's been making really good records.
2: So like, see, that's what I'm saying, Mike. That That's what I'm saying is it, it, these artists it's who have been Bob around. Bob Dylan, dude, Bob Dylan. Is no, like... no, 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 no. Hear me out. Hear me out. Yeah. What I'm saying is that these guys who have been around forever, I respect them. I really do. But it's got to be difficult if this is your forte to cre- constantly create, for lack of a better term, you know, Masterpieces.
1: Well, hits. What are you gonna do? Chuck Berry wrote anything good after like you know a certain point. But I don't know. I'm just saying that, That's how I see great, it. Great stuff, but man, his show was great until it wasn't. You know. I'm
2: just saying that it, it's got to be difficult to really continually keep coming up with new stuff. to well, yeah. please people all the time, right?
1: Well, uh, but I think you know the world has changed. You, know, you don't need to make that record to do the tour. Sometimes you do on a certain level. You do. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the Cramps stopped making good records. At, you know, pretty early on. But their show was always great. You know, just because their last record wasn't as cool as the songs the Lord taught us. But then again, what, nothing was ever going to be that cool. By
0: the way, you know? that's another band that had a, resur- uh, uh, a resurrection of sorts in the last few years. The Cramps, you know, their music being featured on popular shows on Netflix now. It, it really yeah. sort of rejuvenated yeah, I mean, their, the whole thing. Yeah.
1: Some show for like young people, they're playing Goo Goo Muck and it's the Cramps. I mean, I mean it's pretty cool. You know, that's because like the people who're making the decisions are all like people, like people who like the cramps when they're in college. Yeah, they were like, like
0: punk papers. rock folks back in the right. day. That could happen right. to you though, Mike. Is what I'm trying to get no, at. Not um, all, <laughs> I mean, shit. Someone could contact you tomorrow and put one of your songs on one of these uh, so shows on
1: Netflix. Here, sure. I should also get like you know, someone should be optioning my books, and you know, every once in a while you get it, get it nibble, but it never seems to land. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know. You, so never, know, you never know. You never know, Mike. Listen, I, I I feel very blessed. I feel a lot of abundance and in, in my life. And I feel, you know, I mean, I always can say, damn, I wish that book did better, or you know, why didn't HBO pick up? I have fun everywhere I go. That'd be like the best fucking thing of all time. You get bitter when you see people who aren't as talented mm, making it much further, yeah. or people who don't do mediocre things or aren't as thoughtful, aren't not as much heart invested in their thing, or are mercenary and making records just to put out a piece of plastic, and then you you know you break your you know you know you, you open up your heart. You know, to to make a piece of art and, uh, you know, listen, I've gotten a lot farther than anybody possibly could have imagined, you know, I've been so lucky, you know, I've been around the world with bands you may or may not remember, you know, or books that you may or may not have read, but I figured out a way to somehow do it and um, I try to stay positive, the best is yet to come, you know, I don't know. I hear you. Uh, and,
0: and, uh, Mike, I got to ask us, you.
1: We're much more talented than me. We didn't get half as far as I did. So. Well,
0: again, Mike, you know, sometimes the most talented people don't make it to the top. You know, they get stifled in the process, stonewalled by someone who really isn't as, you know, as talented as, uh, someone like yourself. Um, sometimes well, yeah, they get a shot sure. over you, they go over you, you know, they, they put this other person over you, Mike, it happens. It's a cutthroat business as you, you know,
1: you don't, you don't get lucky or you don't get lucky. You know, that's yeah, what it all, happens. You know, a lot, a lot of things at play here. Uh, it's not a meritocracy dude you know i mean that's a fucking myth that like if you work really hard you're gonna make it that's what rich people tell poor people to prevent a revolution
0: absolutely <laughs> mike i like uh, your train of thought here that that's a great point and mike furthermore um you know you, you played for so many bands throughout the years um what has been your most sort of memorable experience on tour with one of these bands um, I, I gotta know mike
1: Oh man, you know there, you know, it's, you know there were some good tours. The Ronchans tours were really fun. Going to Japan with the Ronchans was just outrageously fun and cool. Uh, first time we went to Spain was amazing. We we're just having so much fun. You know, it was party. No one slept ever. Uh, you know, you know we were, like young and bulletproof, and it, it was great. Young, yeah, dumb, sure. and full of comedy. Oh, man the shows were like incredible high energy it was like well you know, it was everything you know it was like the whole sex drugs and rock and roll thing like kind of like, like it was like it was it happened you know it was and it happened to me when it was supposed to happen uh those tours were good i really enjoyed the last tour i did with uh, in spain with guadalupe plata it was not as crazy but i was kind of singing a uh, first time singing with a band behind me versus like bringing my own band and it felt really good it felt like uh, all the work was paying off and it was going over real good i felt really Rewarded, like singing those gospel songs to large crowds. You know, it was, it was good. That felt good. Uh, you know, it works at a few different levels, dude. I, I play at our local Christmas tree lighting here in my little town. And to me, that's very rewarding. You
0: know? Oh, I hear uh, you. Yeah, I'm you. with you on that so, I mean, one. That,
1: that was a great gig. Yeah, people laughed. I said, Mike, you, know, you, you, I, you know, I know that you play all over the place. You've done all those things. Why are you getting so excited about the Christmas tree lighting? It's so, like no one's ever asked me to do that before. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know I go play in Paris, nightclub. Anybody can do that. But no one gets to play the Barryville tree. Christmas tree lighting. This is awesome. Word. You know so that was that was that was a great gig for me. The Christmas tree lighting. I can't wait to do it again this year.
0: Very nice. Very nice. And of course your podcast, The Mike and Judy Show. Uh, oh, tell that, us... that,
1: you're back a few radio shows. Mike and Judy was later became Arts and Seizures and Pete Zaremba from the Fleshtones. Uh, Judy McGuire was my 1st I,
0: I was going to I was just going to ask you uh, in regards to the Mike and Judy show. I was going to say what exactly happened. I know there was a bit of a change there.
1: Yeah. Uh... After, I don't know, I think we did 100 shows, Judy and I, and uh, yeah. she had moved, and getting to the radio station was kind of like becoming a little bit more of a hassle, so uh, still my great friend, Judy, Judy, Judy McGuire, is the, the bestest. Um, okay, so really there's no natural, bad blood. After, I after doing the show okay. for a few years, and thought, which should a little rebrand, so it became Arts and Seizures, and uh, Pete Zarembo from the Flesh tones had come into sit in and be the guest host, and, and you know, I mean, he kind of he, he never left. <laughs> uh, but it was great. I mean, Pete Pete's the best. And so Arts and Seizures, and it's still all up on the Heritage Radio Network uh, is where hosts us, and you can look that up, Arts and Seizures, Heritage Radio Network. And so, you know, being Pete, being the guy from the Fleshstones, this was cool. Every Sunday, we did a radio show, sang some old blues songs. Uh, there, there was a bar next to the, you know, the station, so we were, like, always drinking. It was fantastic. Nice. I was on the radio. It was a really good situation, you know? Out behind Roberta's and Bushwick, so we were getting fed pizza and, and you know, Bloody Marys and beer. Uh, it was a very good sitch until we just decided to end it at the end of 250 shows. just seemed like it was a good place to stop. We had so many great bands on our show. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, I saw that.
1: Yeah every local, like, hooligan was on on our show, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people that you know, and um, now we just started our new podcast here, where I live in Barryville, New York, which is uh, up here in the upper Delaware uh, River Valley, by the Delaware River, right on the Pennsylvania border, uh, so we have a show called Everything's Better in Barryville, and it's uh, the biggest small town podcast in the world, and we talk about our town, and I think if you're from a small town, you're gonna recognize a lot of shit, you know, we're like, we're like hyper local, you know, and, uh, but, you know, when you hear it, you can say, oh, man, I recognize this because this is what rural small town America is. And, and we're having a good time doing it. You know, the guy that I do show with John Picholato, uh he's running for town supervisor this year. He is the proprietor of our, of our local gay bar. Oh, shit. Uh, when, right when you come into town, the stick it in. Uh, <laughs> the stick uh, it in. So- a lot of, he's got a lot of fans and maybe a few people who don't like him because I live in rural America. And he has a bar called the Stick It In. I love uh, that, by the way. As he, as he calls it, a straight-friendly queer bar. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's we hilarious. Friends, we became friends right away, and, uh, when I, when I, and he, it's, so it's going good. Uh, you know, you know, ironically, he's the best straight man I ever had, but that's our show.
0: <laughs> love that. Very nice, yes. He sounds like a great guy in my opinion.
1: Yeah, everything's better in Barryville. We're on also on Heritage Radio Network, but you could find us on uh, Radio dot com. Barryville is B A R R Y L L E Radio. dot com, or on my Facebook page, Mike Edison, or, um I'm gonna I'm to update my website, uh, MikeEdison.com, dot com, but I'm around. I'm not hard to find.
0: Very nice. Yes, respect to that, and shout out to all those gentlemen out there and. One more here for me, Mike. I know you um, probably have to get going here soon. And I was just going to quickly ask you, you know, you've been quite outspoken.
1: You uh, have like wives or families or jobs or anything?
0: No, I'm just, <laughs> um, I'm just chained to a machine all day really is what I learned about myself. Um, but, you know, Mike, you've been an outspoken critic of Donald Trump. I was just oh. going to.
1: That does not make me unique in any. You know what? Uh, I've, I've been an even louder, outspoken critic of Jeff Beck, which which gets me more attention. Right. <laughs> right. I, I, Again, I was just, that, that's more controversial. I was just going to. I just but wanted Jeff to. Beck died. I didn't understand why all these punk rockers <laughs> were like crying in their fucking stupid. I thought we started punk rock because of guys like him. <sighs> anyway, yeah. Donald that's Trump. hilarious. Yeah, Donald Trump the rapist. I, I was
0: just going to quickly say what, what do you think his lasting impact on American culture and politics will be?
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. Hey, so many <laughs> Gee wow, uh lasting impact, man, you know,
0: I'm kind of crazy uh, tonight I'm sorry
1: that's a i i i mean it's it's really bad right I mean it's really fucked up uh I mean he made it okay to wear your clan hood to the shopping mall you know i mean, it, 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 I, mean I mean he made it okay to like fucking like you know be an anti-semitic you know, fuck-faced rapist fucking I mean, maybe, maybe it's going to fade. I don't know. I think I think he's done so much fucking harm. Oy it's vey. unbelievable. It, it's like the, the country is so divided. Like one thing we talk about in a small town, I mean, we got people with Trump signs that are on all over the place. The main thing, though, is like my neighbor might have a Trump sign, but if his house is on fire. I'm going to go put it out because he's my neighbor. Because And that's really the level I'm trying to work on, you know? Uh, you know, we got a lot, a lot of Trump people here, and we got a lot of gay bikers up here, too. You know, uh, I think we should all get along. I mean, maybe the Trump people don't feel the way I do.
0: You should probably give them some pot.
1: <laughs> Dude, they're all fucking stoned. Everybody's really stoned now. They're too but stoned. They're <laughs> it used to be like, oh, yeah. like, like, you know, libertarians were like Republicans who smoked pot. And now everybody's stoned. Every Republican is like smoking weed because they think they can, you know. It's like, like here's an idea. Let's like, like hang out with my AK smoking pot in the parking lot of the supermarket. This is, this is not a good idea. You know, this country's kind of broken. And Donald Trump certainly didn't fix it. That's for sure. He made it more broker.
0: So you're saying he didn't drain the swamp.
1: Dude, drain the swamp. There's that hot fucking second when he's running for president. You say, like, well, gee, if he really stops the lobbyists and fires all, you know, these, you know, stops the revolving door and really doesn't like corruption, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it isn't a good because probably he doesn't really care about abortion or or, or gay people because he's from New York. And he's probably responsible for more abortions than we'll ever know about. And you know, whatever. You know, he's. He didn't, I didn't think he was going to be a culture warrior. You know, and then it turns out to he is the swamp. I mean, it's so fucking bad. It's more corrupt than you could ever possibly imagine.
0: And uh, Mike, any rebuttal there? Who me? Yeah, you.
1: Well, I mean, I think what's happening
2: now. I think. Uh, I think we're with this guy we got in the in the Oval Office now. I think he's fucked up more things. Prior to the last administration, but that's just my thing.
1: Yeah, You'd be wrong about that. Okay. And by the way, just because I dislike Trump so much doesn't mean I love Joe Biden. Okay. And I, because I, I really don't, but I think, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's really hard to mellow things. It really is, you know, the things where things are, the train was out of fucking control when Trump left, dude, you know. Then Joe Biden needs not to run again, either. I mean, you're here first. Actually, I'll tell you right. Listen, I, I joined the Democratic Party only because I needed to vote in a, in a, in a local caucus for my friend, uh, and you had to be a part of the party to go to the caucus, and I wanna support uh, my, my friend, Johnny, who's running for mayor. What they're doing here in our local town is some of the local Republican politicians are re-registering as Democrats so they could nominate themselves and be the only person on the ticket, which is really unfair and uncool, right? It's like like Soviet-era, like an uh, uh, election with only one person running. So I joined the party. But I'm about to leave because I can't believe you are thrusting Joe Biden down my throat again. You know, that I, I can't deal with corporate two-party po- politics, you know, where I really don't have a choice. It's just an illusion. And the idea that fucking Donald Trump is a, the rapist Donald Trump who's also a million years old and a fucking, you know, crime family boss is running against an 80 year old. Never mind what Joe Biden's pros or cons on. It's gross. They need younger leaders. You know, Jesus, the guys in fucking journey are younger than these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I, I kind
2: of agree with that, that we need younger leaders. I, that is a that is very well said. And I do agree on, uh, on that
0: notion. Well, all, all right. Then. <laughs> yeah, well, we're glad you agree, Mike. I'm glad you're
2: You gotta take into consideration as these politicians get older, I mean there I mean, we got a perfect example right now in the White House. This guy is having significant issues trying to maintain. I mean, he doesn't talk to the press. He doesn't I don't know, I just think he's doing a lot of fucked up things and it's it's got I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact that he's that old, in addition to his history. I mean
1: this is where a I, show, but I don't really know what, what fucked up things he's really doing. I think he's surrounded by some pretty okay people. Unfortunately, his vice president isn't really one of them. I just don't, I just don't get her. I don't know how effective she's been. I mean, I know his son is a scumbag, but whatever. Uh, it's not like Donald Trump's kids are like fucking like you know, fucking honor.
0: Not like they're but, angels either, you know?
1: Dude, they're both scumbags. He's been gone away for a long time. He, he I mean, it's a, it's a crime family. Joe Biden's been a good, level, steady, you know, legislator for a long time. You know. He needs to walk away claiming victory and like you know, say wow I did it you know and you know develop some young talent you know I mean that's, that's it I mean you know look what happens to the Yankees they always buy these like old gaudy old home run hitters and they sell their farm team and then they fucking lose for the next thirteen years you know.
0: <laughs> well, I still believe firmly that Joe Biden is definitely the worst president we've ever had. You know, he's just senile in my opinion.
1: He's out there, but I didn't realize you guys were a fucking MAGA Not that I would have known.
0: No, um, no, no, not at all. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I actually despise both uh, parties greatly. I've always been more of an anarchist, uh, to say the very least. Uh, You know, both left and right, they view me as being an, an extremist, and I agree.
1: Yeah, but I, know, kind I mean, of I, mean I, don't, I don't know what you think that happened under Joe Biden's watch. That like I don't I don't know if we want to go down this road too much, but that didn't happen. I, I mean the train's out of control. The immigration thing was out of control. Everyone knows it's a problem. I mean he hasn't solved it, but he didn't create it either. You know? No, He's it's been, been of going the on. Lens. The for, economy is yes. didn't start in the last couple of years. The gas prices, the inflation. By the way, look around the world. It's worldwide global inflation. Okay. He didn't start COVID, you know, Joe Biden, he, you know, he inherited it. I, I mean Trump did more damage than even Ronald Reagan. You guys probably love Ronald Reagan, but he destroyed the middle class. <laughs> he destroyed the middle class. You know, when my parents grew up, you could work your way into the middle class. You know, you can grow up relatively poor, blue collar, and, you know, work your way in the middle class, and your kids could go to colleges, and the next generation would be increasingly better and more uh, You know, affluent and fortunate, you know, you know, and privileged than than you were, which is kind of the American dream, and that kind of went out the door when all the factories closed in the eighties, and you know, the farmers got shut down, and the union busting. I mean, this goes back a long time. You know, Uh, I I agree. Joe Joe Biden's way too fucking old to be sitting there, and he needs to take a deep breath and do a victory lap and get the fuck out of the way.
3: Uh, But he's got to go.
1: You know, but you know, I mean, he he got his gay marriage, and you know, pot was legalized on his watch, and there are a few other things that went on. So I don't know
0: right and of course you know we had um, project warp speed brought to us by one donald j trump which uh you Ooh, know I'm now not it very... says
1: like it's all fake you know yeah trump trump sort of got that go trump also built a good fucking like ice rink in central park you know when the city couldn't build it i was like okay good but you know
0: yeah again i have never been a huge donald j trump fan but i've always been entertained by you know just how he is his, his character i've always been amused by him um which made me Feel you know he's a little bit more likable in that sense where yeah he's kind of a douchebag but he's, he's our douchebag he's kind douchebag. of
1: funny. He's douchebag. Well, he's he's a heel, you know. That's so, why yeah.
0: I like him. He's a heel. I like that. It's funny I, to me. He's
1: like a bad guy. He's like he's on a hinge. It's like okay, and, he, and he's a disruptor. And yeah. He, and it, it, you know, except he's not. Really, an American patriot? Yes. No, he's he not. Put himself before the country. That is always the first test, you know.
0: Oh, he's a narcissist asshole. We we know that.
1: And apparently a rapist. So well, you know, that's another I, thing. These things should be disqualifying, dude. The second he was giving a speech and started making fun of like, like a physically challenged, you know, <laughs> you know, or differently able, whatever it is, like, yes. like reporter, we started making fun of a guy with muscular dystrophy by like right. That should have been disqualifying. That's what bullies do. That was you know? really
0: dickish, man. You know, yeah, I don't know how to say it but
1: a retarded person, but you. You, you can't do that that a retard yes <laughs> you know, how is that how does that go you make you know I, you know you well he's not, re- he's not
0: he's not retarded he was um mimicking someone's um they had um what was it was it was it parkinson's
1: he was, he's got he's he something we all got our fucking challenges sure you know? yes i'm just like god made me dude but you don't make fun of people like that like yeah I, right I, right, right. All fine to be the leader this is a leadership position You know, you know, and you don't get to say I grab pussies because I'm a star because when you're a leader and then just like roll it off, you don't get to do that. You have to be a step above. Grab them by the pussy. It's a job description. If you want to be the dog catcher in Barryville, maybe you get away with it. Even then, no, like, no, like, no, like hard. No, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be exemplary. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect because we're all flawed. You know, we are, but Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, I don't need a serial adultering, money laundering fucking pig. I mean, that's, it's, it's too much.
0: The bad thing is they all are. I think anyone involved in politics is filthy and corrupt and dirty and disgusting and vile. But that's just my opinion. But I've always I've always said that about all these guys, anyone in a suit. I I think you've done something wrong automatically in my mind. I'm like, yeah, you've done something fucked up.
2: (laughs) I'm gonna stop wearing my suit from now on, Michael.
0: I didn't think you owned one. (laughs) I got
2: a couple of them
0: is that for church or uh what's going on
2: yes that's when i go to church ah. on sundays and, and talk about my sins there you go <laughs> all my pot smoking yeah <laughs> and masturbation and pornography
0: <laughs> well i gotta be honest you know um the whole pot thing you know i've been smoking forever not gonna lie and um it wasn't until recent where i just got into um acid gotta be honest I've been dropping an lsd um from a a chemist that's been amazing. I I feel like I'm in the fucking Beatles.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Which that's too bad. Which are like Sergeant Pepper or like
0: yeah, know? like Sergeant Pepper. You know when they thought they're like Indian shit.
1: Yeah, I acid was good for me when it was good. It's been a long time. It was oh, a good experience,
0: you're missing out.
1: <laughs> no, I, I believe me. I was very enthusiastic about it. Like once upon a time.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's uh, the greatest thing in the world, and you know I've never done it. I've only done it maybe like five times now in the last like year. Or so.
1: Lot, actually, I need more. Well, uh, good, good luck with that. That stuff's pretty strong. The mind is very fragile. Listen, like you said, it was a good experience. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't judge. You know, I just, you know, I don't like. Bullies, Stop judging I me, racist. Mike.
0: I, I don't like. I don't like your tone right now. I feel like you're you're yeah. judging me yeah. for uh, dropping uh, acid. I, I, by
1: being dismissive? Eh, maybe. My uh, heart's broken. Uh, but listen, if it's working for you, dude, you know. <laughs> just, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's, uh, I just, I just, I just hate, hate. That was a song that Reagan youth always had. I hate, hate, you know, that's what I'm not into. If like you're in the Beatles. I mean, God bless you. I mean, I mean, I mean, it would be horrible. Can you imagine listening to that while you're on acid? Oh, I wouldn't
0: do that though. That
1: sounds, it sounds like that's probably true. Myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I'd start a...
1: playing like when I'm 64, when I was tripping, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I'd, I'd like, with the French horn comes in, I'd probably just like leap off the roof.
0: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um well mike i do want to thank you for being a part of the program here it's been a honor and pleasure and it's been so much fun to have you here mr edison i i've had a yeah, great guys, time
1: fun. all right so you know get right with god and, uh, get right with yeah, god
0: you know walk into, night.
1: walk into the bright light and all that stuff but uh, i had a good time talking to you and uh you know uh, shooting the shit yeah and uh if anybody wants to find me mike is a good place to do it
2: thanks for coming on mike i really appreciate it yeah i know you- we really appreciate
1: it. Yes, sir. All right. I'll see you over in the newsstand where they saw the porno magazines. Michelle. I love that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Take, Take care, care, Mike. Mike. Right. It was good All talking right. to you. See you guys. Goodbye, Please, my friend.
0: Bye. Bye-bye. Ah, yes. And uh, there he goes. That was Mr. Mike Edison, a talented um, writer, musician. Yep. You're supposed to say something there, Mike.
2: Drummer. Drummer. Slash, uh... Through, i don't know he's producer a he's of kind
0: of he's, like a renaissance man
2: uh, quite quite uh doing a lot he's he's really traveled the world
0: that was so to speak. yeah that was great by the way I, I really enjoyed uh talking to mike here he was uh he's a fun guy
2: hard to catch up with i mean he goes a mile a minute right
0: yeah but <laughs> okay. you know you like that here um when sure. you're doing a talk show it's good to have a guest that. You know, into what he's talking about and not just a bore. And he was definitely not a bore. I was actually quite entertained by that and full of energy. He came alive at the very end there with a, when I asked him about Trump.
2: Oh my God, I didn't know you were going to go there, bro.
0: Ooh, he didn't like that at all.
2: <laughs> Do you hear what he said? He's like, if I knew you guys were MAGA, uh, MAGA supporters, I wouldn't have done the show. <laughs> uh,
0: you, you know, MAGA supporters don't even like me. So I, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was almost going to bounce him off the fucking show. I was gonna be wow. like, "Yeah, Mike, you're probably gonna go away now. You're you're getting a little I was too comfortable really here."
2: Wondering like where he was gonna take us with with that. You know, when you asked that question, I was wondering, like, "Wow, what's gonna happen now?"
0: He didn't like that. No, not one bit. I thought that was hilarious.
2: I, I'm I'm really surprised though that he didn't or doesn't see the things that Biden done, done, has done. I mean. I'm sorry. I, I still think Biden is the full, like, reason that we've got inflation and ga- high gas prices.
0: Why did you tell him that?
2: I didn't want to get into politics, you know. That, look who's sca-
0: we- who scared of Mike Edison.
2: <laughs> I, honestly, though, I wasn't going to go there. I really wasn't. And I just kept my mouth shut. You know, you want to, if that's how he feels, so what am I going to do? Am I going to change it? I'm not going to change it. Oh, there's a lot gonna, of people out there. I
0: thought you were going to yell at him or something.
2: Ah, what am I going to say? whatever I'm going to say, it's not going to make a difference. I I, I don't talk when people, when there's people out there who fully believe 100% that Trump is a, this and a, that and the other, what am I going to do? I'm one person. I can't change their mind. Nine times out of 10, they're not going to change their mind because they are set in their ways on what they believe. As um,
0: As a pro wrestling fan, I'm a little, I was a little disappointed there that he felt that strongly about, um, politics because you know in my personal opinion i don't really get you know i'm not personally affected by any of this shit right. first and foremost and I, I, I don't that. yeah i don't give a fuck you know i, I, I find it entertaining that. i like it i like talking about it but it's not going to ruin my day it's not going to keep me up at night uh thinking about politics more like global things that are going on that will bother me but in terms of like the president you know that sort of thing i don't give a fuck about who, who the president is Um, first and foremost i could really care less however going from um you know being a pro wrestling fan you see the pageantry on both sides and politics in general yes and that's why i'm like i'm surprised he doesn't see it that way since he's a pro wrestling fan
2: and i i have to agree with you on that as i said when you brought that that you know the subject up i was very surprised to, to see that he felt um Uh, I'm not sure what the word would be, but uh, like how he said Biden should, like, you know, take a take a bow for the things that he's done and walk away. Where in reality, right now, right now, at this very moment, Joe Biden has the lowest poll scores of any president in the history of the United States of America.
0: He has done such a bad job. And and yet there we go.
2: (laughs) He didn't. Uh, he didn't make any comment today. Again, I, I'm not. I'm not judging the guy one way or another. If that's what he believes. That's what he believes. I can't change it. Whatever.
0: Right. I, I know, Mike. I was just uh, messing with you. And anyway. But um. Yeah, I was uh, kind of surprised. I was like, wow. I didn't know he was a mark for uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> Yes, but, but we Otherwise, are,
2: um, I think we, he. it was a great interview, Michael. I, I think he really opened up a lot of oh, things. Oh, he did. Yeah, He's I, done I mean, so much. As, as, it's hard to cover it all in just the two hours that we did. Absolutely. You know? um,
0: I, I'm just glad that he did open up, though, about it. That's kind of what I wanted to hear from him. I wanted him to be outspoken about uh, yeah. his dislikes of, uh, one, Donald J. Trump. Um, but again, I, I didn't know he liked Biden that much.
2: Yeah, yeah. Again, there are certain people who sincerely believe that this guy has done no wrong.
0: That's true. Well, I mean, he didn't really do any wrong, um, and I, I kind of feel the same way about Donald J. Trump and uh, Biden. I, I don't think they're in charge of anything. I think their administration and the other folks out there in government are more, you know, involved and have more of a say than. sitting president does that's just more of a puppet for america to see
2: right yeah those behind the
0: scenes exactly they're they're just spokespeople that's why i'm like you know don't get that wrapped up around them too much you know we could shit on them we could praise them but at the same time it's like you gotta dig a little bit further very much like the tv anchors that people like you know like tucker carlson a great example people love him and um, they're giving him all these accolades and it's like look you gotta give the accolades to his writers those are the people that you actually like. You like right. uh, Tucker the presenter, but it's the other people that are forming these opinions and these thoughts and they're breaking them down and giving them to Tucker. So that way he could relay that to you out there. Um, but a lot of people, they don't get that. They don't really, they haven't figured that out yet. They're still, you know, they're still a little ignorant about the way things work in the real world. Right. Yeah, it's just the business, you know. This is entertainment. It always, people forget, people forget. But regardless though i i had a great time i really liked mike a whole lot i hope he comes back and if he doesn't well who gives a fuck it's all good <laughs> i don't give a fuck if he comes back or not we're gonna have fun here on this program we're gonna rock it to the wheels fall off as they say in the streets that's right that's right so mike once again i do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program it's been a honor and pleasure to do it with you my friend yes sir go ahead and plug away as we shut the bitch down
2: all right well um Many thanks to Michael, uh, as always, on the Michael Deacon program. Many thanks to Mr. Mike Edison, who um, has come on. Uh, For those – if I may just real quick for a moment, for those of you who don't know, the reason we got Mike on is because I have the CD. uh, I have fun everywhere I go, and I got it back in 2008 when I was still writing for a magazine, and I reviewed it. And I've had it all these years, and just a couple of months ago I put it on and I started listening to it again for the first time in, in years, and I thought to myself, oh, God, it would be really fun to get this guy on. Like, the the, the CD is hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. Uh, in any event, that's how we got Mike on tonight, and uh, thank you to him for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, he was very cool about it. If anybody's interested in my book, King of an Empire to the Shoes of a Misfit, you can pick it up at Uh, uh it, it is sold there exclusively. And last but not least, uh, Mike Hideous um, can also be uh, reached on Facebook, facebook.com slash hideous Thank you very much, people. I had a good, uh, good night tonight. Thank you.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Once again, Mike, thank you for being here and hanging out with me and inviting the other Mike here to enjoy himself here, too. And uh, with that said, my friend, I will talk to you on the other side.
2: All right, Mike. Have a good night, buddy. I'll talk to you later.
0: Bye bye And there he goes, boys and girls. That was my co-host, Mr. Mike Hideous. And, of course, Mr. Mike Edison. Big thank you to both of them for bringing it here tonight. I had a great time. I hope all of you out there had a great time as well. And I want to thank every single one of you out there for continuing to rock the house with us here and showing us your support. And remember, if you want bonus content, bonus material not found elsewhere, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Oh, yes, that is where gold falls from the sky. You will love what we have in store for you coming up very, very soon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo.